Välkommen väktare. Det är den 29 och den 30 augusti 2016 och ni lyssnar på Ghost Stories, en Destiny podcast. Björk, 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 björk. What, what was that? What was all that? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't even understand what that was, but it's August 29th and 30th, 2016, and you were listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. We're picking it back up with the, uh, the Hunter Exotic Armor. This is episode 37.5. And uh, we just recorded yesterday, so we've got a special guest, and we're super excited about it, our number one fan. Uh, we'll get to him here in just a minute, but this time we're going to be talking about helmets and gloves. And when I say immediately, like I said... Well, you didn't we read just, it word for word, so... I did You didn't read the first immediately. Yeah, I did. Didn't I? Nope. No. Nah. <laughs> I ad-lib. Anyway... Like I said, back to back, we're trying to cram in a bunch of stuff before Rise of Iron comes out. We got to put all the exotics to to bed, and hopefully get a, another special episode in here before before uh, the twentieth of September. So this is gonna be a long one. Let's try to get rolling. Uh, I am put a hex on put a hex ray on me. <laughs> 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 and I'm doing all right. Um, we've also got Sherbert Pop music. How's it going, Sherbert Pop? I'm going good. It's been so long since we last recorded uh, yesterday. <laughs> I, kn- I know, I know. So not much in the way of news there. And then we've got uh, Drapery Slash. <laughs> That's right. I'm starting a, a crusade against curtains. <laughs> nice. <laughs> curtains are dumb. Any yeah. um, <laughs> blinds all the way. <laughs> it's right <laughs> and not much has been going on i'm assuming so besides probably cramming in through some of these notes yeah. to make sure they were cleaned up show notes you're about to hear what i've been doing for the past 24 hours <laughs> and our special guest uh we've if you follow us on twitter you've seen us post some information about his lorg project and uh he's self-proclaimed and podcast proclaimed number one fan uh this captain kex captain kex and how's it going hello it's it's going good i'm so glad you added that last part about also being a podcast proclaimed <laughs> so it wasn't just self-proclaimed <laughs> well I, it started with me i think I, I started calling you number one fan i think on twitter before we even started the slack um actually it was a joke amongst us in the podcast group because you hit us up hard and heavy at the beginning on Twitter, just offering up information. And then you started emailing us and it was, it seemed like every day, it wasn't every day, but it seemed like every day we were getting emails or or information from you. And it was awesome because it opened up some doors. You actually probably helped to inspire um, our 
ignored lore pieces that we used to do because the first tweet that you sent to us uh, <laughs> was in regards to some, was it blue? Which one was that? That was the uh, the Cormorant Line 2. Oh, yeah. With the, yeah. With, yeah, the body armor with the Rasputin logo on it. Um, well, half of it, it was kind of split on the armor. And we talked about that a lot back in, I think, October <clears throat> of last year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I I think you kind of, like I said, inspired us to, to get the the ignored lore piece going. And, and you've also done, man, I don't even... You know what? Let me let you talk about your Lord project for a second because it is ridiculous. Uh, I know we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to do it any <laughs> justice on the show, so we'll get links to his. Uh, I know there's some YouTube videos you've made, kind of demoing it and showing all the work you've done on it. But tell us when you started this project and how much kind of time you put into it, and just just kind of the general concept of it. Uh, and yeah. Of course. Yeah, well, first, firstly, I want to say um, when we're talking about when you guys started the show, um, I, I I went at it hard with Twitter on you guys because I was so happy there was someone was doing a um, uh, a lore podcast. I was listening to a lot of Destiny podcasts, but and they did some lore parts, but they never like went in depth with it. And um, when you guys announced on, I think it was Reddit, right? You posted that you were going to do the show. I was so excited, so I thought, yeah, I'm going to get into, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a huge fan of these guys, hopefully. And, I mean, after the first episode, I really realized also that you were using sort of the same terminology that I use when I work. So I'm an analyst at work, and you guys talked about probabilities, and you didn't sort of lay, you, you were very clear about how, how much you could, um, what conclusions you could draw, and what you should draw. And that impressed me a lot. So I'm I'm very glad that you guys do this podcast, and I'm I'm happy to be your number one fan. So I just wanted to to say that. So yeah, the Lorg chart. So um, do you want me to go like a little bit in depth on how I get started, and then continue onwards onto what the Lorg chart actually is? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just uh, we're gonna be a little pressed for time, so kind of an abridged version would probably be best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, give us give us the the one two. <coughs> Yeah, so um, being an analyst, I um, I have a certain way of sort of approaching information, and I was um, w- I started getting into lore after the first raid, the Vault of Glass. I was like, why, why do we, uh, why do we kill this like shiny shiny things <laughs> that uh, that sound weird, and why do we continue onwards, and why do gorgons like stare us to death? <laughs> It was so sort of out of place or so mystical. So I thought, oh, I got to know why. Why are we going to the future and the past? Or rather, Venus or Mars, as we call it. So I was reading a lot and I realized like, um, the next time we were reading, guys, this isn't, uh, this isn't Mars or Venus. It's the future. And nobody like cared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt so I was getting more and more into the lore as the DLCs came out. Um, and I wanted to sort of use my methodology at work to better understand the lore. So I started looking into how can I use my uh, work tools, one of them being the analyst notebook uh, software from IBM. And I started looking how, ca- well, uh, I needed the database uh, with all the items and all the descriptions. So I started like sending out sort of emails asking uh, s- different sites if they could could give me my, their database, and one of them was ishtar-collect.net. 
and I got no replies. Well, I got one or two, nothing from Ishtar. Um, so a little time passed. I was a little depressed about that, but I. Those Ishtar guys are kind of jerks. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> big jerk. I love you, Baxter. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting to that part. Uh, so, so Ishtar Collector got featured on uh, Destiny Lore Reddit, and I was like, yeah, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little bit mean. So I. I went in and I commented like it. Yeah, it's a great site, but their their customer service it sucks because <laughs> they never replied to my emails. <laughs> and, and knowing Baxter now, uh, I play with him a lot. He's a great guy. I probably offended him more than I, <laughs> I anticipated because it took two hours and then I had an email from him. <laughs> Hello, as he would say. Um, so he, I mean, over the the coming days he helped me a lot he, he uh, put together a excel chart over all the items and, and all that stuff so uh, I could get started so I did, I imported all the items and all the stuff into uh, Andres notebook and then I had a I also got his categorization that he uh, that he set up for the, for the site which helped a lot actually. He did a really good job with that yeah, I mean, he, he kind of explained how it went through and how we did and, and sort of checking how how this was linked with his system. It's very impressive, the work he does. It's a great site. Um, so I had a sort of a grid with about 8,000, I think it was, entities. And an entity is like an item or uh, or a grimoire or anything like that. But like I said, they were just in a sort of a, a large grid. Nothing was organized. Uh, I had the, the links. So if I had, like, for instance, Osiris, his category, that was linked to all the items or all the grimoire or all the quest descriptions um, that contained or pertained to Osiris. So over the course of a couple of months, I started moving them slowly out of this massive grid and putting them to the side, making so I can sort of un- look a little bit more organized. Uh, and this took probably a couple of months, like five, ten minutes each day during work time, which probably was more like 30 to 45 minutes, but don't tell my boss that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, over the course of a couple of months there, I, I just moved things around, started organizing them. And um, yeah, about mm, I mean six months later, I was going home for my uh, my paternity leave or my um, parental leave for six months. So um, I put out this little. I wanted to show you guys, and I wanted to show the people in the Slack channel and your fan Slack what I was doing because I've had people, a lot of people were helping me. So like for instance, when we were doing, I was doing the structure of the cabal. People were going out taking screenshots for me and stuff. So, I mean, the people you know who you are, thank you for helping me. I mean, I couldn't have done it without you. Um, so the lore chart basically is to try to describe it. It's a visual database, right? You have entities that are information and you have links that sort of tell the story of how are these uh, bits of entities connected. So, for instance, a entity would be Shax and the Crucible, and it would be connected by a link saying runs. So Shaq runs the Crucible. So it's a sort of a visual tool to, to show you how are, how are things structured within this piece of, um, well, for instance, in the lore. 
Um, so it really helps if you're like me, if you put things into more context, if you can look at it while you're reading it. Yeah, when I, so when when I, I, oh, I was going to say, when I first saw it, you know, I, at my work, there are so many, you know, presidents and vice presidents and directors and, and everything coming down from the top and you just you know it's a you know essentially what it looks like when you look at it to me and that's what i told you originally was this huge organizational chart that you know from the top down you've got your your kind of big guys and it branches out to their you know who who directly kind of reports to them so to speak uh like especially in like the the whole cabal hierarchy um and it's in you know that's if you, if anyone at home is trying to get like a visual idea of what this looks like, and then it just basically branches out from like a main topic to all the the smaller connecting pieces, so it's pretty well. Cool. We'll link the video because the video of you showing off the Lord chart is mind blowing. Because when you first see the image, you're like, oh, it's a bunch of circles, and then you slowly zoom in, and they all start to become names, and all the links start to appear between all the names and the different topics, and it's like. It is such a wealth of connected information. It's just it's visually it's so impressive and it's so really cool to look at and, and scan yeah. through. It's massive. Yeah, well, I know. It, and thank you a lot. I mean, it, it is kind of massive. It's, I think I'm close to like 400 hours of work now. Wow. And I, I'm loving every minute of it. I mean, I'm, I'm learning so much when going through this. And I find these little like tidbits when looking through it and... I can add images on top of it. I actually broke the oh. <laughs> the free uh, the free viewer that, that <laughs> I IBM has published. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have a thing called the chart reader that everyone can download and look at the log chart. It's available uh, on my uh, Reddit. And when I pushed over like 200 megabytes uh, in the file, every image disappeared from the uh, from the chart reader. <laughs> Uh, it was, I could see it in my analyst notebook, but I couldn't see it in the chart reader. So I had to, I was doing a lot of research into why was this happening. And I had to contact the IBM and try to like, uh, and they was like, yeah, of course, we'll help you. Just give us our, your passport uh, support number. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, and I work for a Swedish government, which is, so uh, it felt kind of weird to, to call up uh, our main office. Like, hey, I'm, I, I have to have this one. Uh, and I was on paternity leave, so I was home with the kids. <laughs> but I never, no one ever asked me what it was about. In not even IBM when I sent them the actual chart. <laughs> and, and this is a company that deals with military and police force and, and this kind of stuff. And here I come sending in a <laughs> massive chart <laughs> over the lore of destiny. But they helped me. They, they sort of trimmed down the, uh, the file and they um, are going to fix that problem in a future installment nice that's awesome, awesome. yeah hopefully. Bungie's <laughs> sitting in a corner right now like when's this guy gonna get done we need that thing. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i'll probably never get done right i have I'm, so i reached a point around where i have like the basic lore down in, in the chart and i'm yeah. sort of the last thing i did was moving in uh, dialogue from uh, from the different vendors and NPCs nice. and placing those that had any sort of could have reference to anything um, at what they were talking about. So, I mean, it's, I love doing this. It's a great project to, to be working on. I still owe so you. I owe you a bunch of dialogue from the original exotic bounties. 
<laughs> yeah, and the quest, uh, how you get the exotic weapons quests. Yep. Quest lines. Yeah, I know. Way to hold up progress <laughs> drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no. awesome. We will we'll get that linked, and uh, and everyone needs to go check it out and watch the video and go go find Kex on Reddit. We'll get yeah. we'll get all his pertinent information posted in the show notes. Um, but we need to get moving because we got yeah. lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, hold on, we got to ask we got to ask Kex at least the two questions we always ask all our guests. That's right. Do it. Go ahead. I'll let you do it. So the first is, uh, what is what main class do you play? Warlock. You have any particular flavor of warlock you prefer? No, I, I am. I usually switch between them. So I, I don't know. It's kind of like that. The grass is always green on the other side. So I'll play Sun Singer for a while, and I'm like, ooh, Stonecaller. That should be fun. And I play Stonecaller, and I go over to Voidwalker. So I I mix it up. What yeah. about race and and sex? Um, I am an awoken male. Got it. You're, you're like you're our Swedish version of Gabble. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even we didn't even mention that until right now. Obviously, Kex is not from America. He's Swedish, and that's what we heard at the beginning of the show. So booty booty booty. <laughs> We're covering a lot of time zones on this episode. Oh, Speaking yeah. of lore, we've we've cr- we've totally disproven the uh, Swedish chef lore. <laughs> yes. They don't talk like that. That's confirmed. That's they don't not talk Swedish. Like that. <laughs> right. But so, it's still funny. And the second question is, do you have a favorite piece of lore? Well, um, actually, no, I don't. I'm more of a lore generalist, so I will sort of focus in on things that are obscure and hard to, to sort of understand. So, I mean, I've been doing a lot of studies into the void. Uh, so late, mm-hmm. I think it's a really fascinating subject and how it connects and how what what could the the, um, the void be so yeah that's that's probably awesome well all right dirty dirty warlock we're, <laughs> we're super happy to have you yeah get some real shoes i am uh, so happy we're happy so to have you on uh <laughs> and we should get rolling we should jump into a this is hunter so you're our token warlock for this last episode it was just three hunters and we rambled like maniacs because <laughs> Yeah, didn't we talk about cloaks for like half an hour? (laughs) Yeah, we talked about cloaks for a long time. And they weren't even exotic cloaks. (laughs) I'm just talking about cloaks in general. (laughs) But we've got a lot to cover, and we've got some really awesome lore bits buried in Hunter Exotics, so we should get this started. So let's jump right into it. We'll start with helmets first, and we're going to do Acleophage Symbiote first. So Acleophage Symbiote, uh, and I pronounce that two different ways because I know there's people in our listening audience who that drives crazy. <laughs> Flavor text, they told me it would eat my thoughts and leave me full of lights. The exotic perk in year one was Last Man Standing. Golden Gun gains one additional shot per use, uh, and it came with Fastball, which is the hunter version of Grenade Throw Distance, and Ashes to Assets, which is... Uh, grenade energy restores your super, which was broken for a while, luckily. Uh, in year two, the perk is the exact same, still called Last Man Standing. You still get an extra shot. We'll talk about the changes that happened to that in a little bit. Uh, but Acleophage will always roll with Intellect, and it can roll any other helmet perks beyond that. Uh, the perk symbol is two bullets surrounded by flames, uh, kind of like a sideways scavenger perk. 
Uh, but let's go back and talk about the name here, uh, Acleophage symbiote. Acleophage, uh, coming from the Greek, Acleo means darkness, phage means things that devours or eats. And then symbiote, uh, an organism in partnership with another such that each profits from being together. So, darkness, darkness eating symbiote. So, I guess if your thoughts aren't dark, though, what can it really do? Uh, the perk Last Man Standing. We've got a ton of notes here, I think, on Last Man Standing. Uh, I did some research into where this phrase comes from. I think we've heard it a lot. Uh, it's not an uncommon phrase. But the origins are pretty much unknown, although it can be traced back to boxing matches, like early boxing matches, which were quite literally Last Man Standing. Um, but here, I think it applies more to the last man standing in a gunfight or a duel, which falls right in line with Gunslingers uh, or the Bruce Willis movie. And then X-Ray also has a note about last man standing here. A novel by David Balducci entitled Last Man Standing. An FBI hostage team gets ambushed. Hey, the main character's name is really Webb London. <laughs> yeah hey sorry i just had to get back on i was do, oh. had to do a work thing um yeah so i found this book by balducci and yeah the guy's name is webb london uh <laughs> and basically it's a an fbi hostage team uh gets ambushed and the main character webb london is the only survivor and uh, I just thought that was interesting because, you know, if those ambushing people would have had an, one more shot, they might have not had any survivors at all. So Yeah. Your number's <laughs> up, yeah, Web London. <laughs> but, yeah, that was all I found. <clears throat> all right. So then we have some miscellaneous notes here, and we'll talk about some of the terrible things that happened to this poor helmet. Uh this was the go-to exotic, I think, for every gunslinger in year one. When we talk, when we get down to young Ahamkar's spine, we'll talk about that. But really, in year one, nothing beat Acleophage. Having four golden gunshots was the bee's knees everywhere. And they lasted so much longer, didn't they? Well, the overall super. The overall, yeah, the overall super yeah. did, yeah. Was you not, had more time to take all your shots than you do now. Yeah. Uh, this was, yeah, I don't think... If you were a year one gunslinger not rolling Acleophage, I'd love to hear what you were running because this was unbeatable for it really turned Golden Gun into the powerhouse that a lot of people feel it should be. The uh, only acceptable answer for what else were you running is Blade Dancer. Correct. <laughs> correct. Uh, when this helmet was moved from year one to year two, it changed color. Uh, it was red originally. It got changed to gray. Something I do want to note is that the helmet is a basic hunter model helmet. Uh, and when I say basic hunter model, I mean this model appears a lot. Uh, Forester 2.1, Mangala Skin 1.3, Cinna Jaguar 2.1, Cold Mantis, Rust Burner, etc. In year one, almost every helmet is based off these models of helmets just with weird pieces added uh, acleophage arachnid uh, celestial nighthawk we'll talk about all these they all share this base helmet model and it's not until we get into year two where the helmets really start to change shape 
in the SRL patch, uh, which was 2.1.0, this poor helmet got hit with a nerf that was, I think, 99.98% of the player base <laughs> agrees is, was completely unnecessary. Uh, and in that instance, uh, the if you were wearing acleophage and you hit Golden Gun, it reduced the time you had to take your shots. Golden Gun was 12 seconds originally, and whether you were firing off three or four shots, you had 12 seconds, which is plenty of time normally. They cut it down to eight, which means you only had two seconds per shot, uh, which was brutal. As, as a warlock and a non-hunter uh, main, uh, I was actually kind of glad because you guys couldn't run around the crucible map just hunting us down, right? You, we could actually hide or <laughs> do something to, to combat those four shots. Although Gabble has a note here that Hammer of Soul lasts 25 seconds. Uh, it, you get 17 seconds for Storm Trance, unless you're running Transcendence, and then you get 9,000 seconds. <laughs> uh, so it was rough. Acleophage became the only exotic with a negative trade-off, which a lot of people were not happy about. Although in the Taken Spring update in April, the 2.2.0, it didn't restore Golden Gun to its full 12 seconds when wearing Acleophage. Uh, they met in the middle at 10. But it's still... That's a hard. That's a hard nerf to take. Uh, and yeah. when we get down to Ahamkar's spine, we'll talk about the nerfs that happened to Trip Mines, and it really seems like some of these, the more recent updates of the game, have put a real hurt on the poor gunslinger hunter. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not oh, and then the so the symbiotes sort of modification to the base helmet model has this weird goopy symbiote stuff all over it. Presumably the stuff that is uh, eating your thoughts. And Gabble, who's not here, has a huge long list here. He mentioned this in the Warlock episode, talking about Heart of the Praxic Fire. He talked about what was going to happen to the fate of the Knight Solar, who we talked about. So, Acleophage Symbiote seems to be a reference to the Sunlight Maggot Helmet from Dark Souls. This is another Dark Souls reference. In Dark Souls, the description of that item is a loathsome parasite that inhabits lost Azalith. Uh, it is completely immobile, yet still lives. When worn on the head, it emanates blinding light, which is why it is known as a sunlight maggot. Uh, and I'm just going to read his note real quick here. <clears throat> as with Heart of the Praxic Fire, the reference here is closely tied with everyone's favorite sunbro, Solera Vistora. Dark Souls spoilers ahead. <laughs> If you reach Lost Azalith without killing the red-eyed chaos bug, Solaire will appear near a shortcut door, it does not matter if the shortcut has been opened or not, wearing the Sunlight Maggot. The Sunlight Maggot within the chaos bugs has burrowed into his mind. It has baited him into forfeiting his soul with the lore of his own personal son. He is driven insane and presumably hollow upon being vanquished. He can still speak and does not have a hollowed appearance, although this may be the first step into going hollow. He attacks the player and must be killed, though this is only one of the possible endings to the story of Solaire. Uh, TLDR, wearing the parasite on your head that promises to vanquish darkness might be a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Kex, you have a note here as well. 
So I, I always picture the uh, the brain slug from Futurama. <laughs> like, Here, take a hat. <laughs> so I think nowadays, aquaphage never really recovered from that that timing nerf. Uh, it's not. I I rarely see it around these days. Uh, even with the buffs that happened to Golden Gun, uh, which made the sh- make the shots much more powerful, I still don't see a lot of acleophages around. Uh, it also does not help that it's not a very good-looking helmet. It makes you look like you have a giant fat head. Yeah, and whenever whenever that became less used, what did everyone switch to? I mean, I switched to Ahamkar's spine. That's right, because of your grenades, right? Correct. And... Then they nerfed that one all to hell. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and yeah. Well, and just... then so then people were like, oh, well, you can switch over to sealed Ahamkar's grasps, which we'll talk about. But then the knives got nerfed in that same mm-hmm. trip mine nerf. So. Yeah. So something I don't know if we had mentioned here, but uh, year one, Acleophage, and correct me if I'm wrong, this just kind of from what I remember, was one of the very few. Uh, exotic armor pieces that was affected by your shader. Was it? Yeah, was yeah. It? It, oh. it, I absolutely know that that was. I don't know. I think there were some other ones. I think there were some gloves um, for a warlock that would that were affected by it. But there were like maybe three items that were exotics in year one that that shaders would change. But the acleophage was definitely one because I remember changing it quite often. But the the parasite always stayed red. I think. <clears throat> oh, awesome. Yeah, and it always pulsates, too. It's kind of cool that it's animated like that. Well, all right. Well, uh, in House of Wolves, they I believe it was House of Wolves, they introduced a, a new gunslinger hunter helmet, and this one's often overlooked. Uh, we talked about the body armor version of this, and now we're going to talk about the head version of this, and that is the ATS-8 Arachnid. It's overlooked because it's terrible. <laughs> is it, though? Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> well, as I, it's funny. I say I mentioned this last episode. That was literally 24 hours ago, and nobody's heard <laughs> that episode yet. <laughs> They'll hear it first. Not, not even me, so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, the ATS Arachnid. Uh, we discussed in the last episode that ATS uh, stands for what I'm about to read. So ATS-8 Arachnid. Advanced Tactical Sensorium. Induced Hallucinogens. Integrate Broad Spectrum Targeting Data. So we talk about the ATS standing for Advanced Tactical Sensorium. Uh, and then the Arachnid part, let's go through the perks first. <clears throat> so, exotic perk in year one, Arachnid Sensorium. Your golden gun zooms in for accuracy when aimed. Uh, the perks in year one had Light the Blade, which was grenades recharge melee, and Ashes to Asset, which is super energy when you kill enemies with grenades. In year two, the perk was slightly changed, still called Arachnid Sensorium, but now reads, your golden gun zooms in for accuracy when aimed and can be kept ready longer. Uh, In year two, the ATS-8 Arachnid will always roll with intellect and can roll any other helmet perks. Uh, The symbol changed between year one and year two. In year one, it was just the golden gun icon. Uh, In year two, it was the Deadeye perk without the little plus next to it. So, arachnid, spiders. We talked about Tarantella, now we'll talk about arachnid. Uh, arachnids are a class of joint-legged invertebrate animals. Uh, I don't need to go into all the subphylum things here. Uh, all arachnids have eight legs, although the front pair in some species 
has converted to a sensory function, while in other species, different appendages can grow large enough to take on the appearance of extra pairs of legs. Uh, the term is derived from the Greek word arachne, uh, meaning spider. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Uh, ancient Greek listeners, get at me about how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> Spiders are the largest order of this class, but they are not the only ones. Uh, I think quite famously, scorpions are arachnids. Advanced technical sensorium. Uh, a sensorium is the sum of an organism's perception. It is the seat of sensation where experiences uh, and interprets the environment for wherever the organism lives. So it's it's sensory, sensory gathering. It's the center of sensory gathering. So it's a fancy word for senses, really. Yes. Well, it's where all your senses meet and yeah. turn into your sense soup and then you taste it and try and figure out what everything is Fair enough. <clears throat> uh, this perk is a little bit misunderstood so let's go into it uh, arachnid sensorium your golden gun zooms in for accuracy when aimed it does actually if you're wearing this and you zoom in uh, and you pull golden gun and look down sights you get a little bit extra distance but what that actually does is provide a range buff for golden gun uh, similar to the perk over the horizon which prevents damage drop-off at extreme distances. Uh, this perk has been pretty thoroughly tested, uh, and definitely in year one, uh, the Arachnid could outperform Symbiote in medium to long-range engagements because you would experience pretty severe damage fall-off on Golden Gun, even if you landed all four shots, whereas the Arachnid would not experience that damage fall-off, so you had higher damage in three shots than you got uh, in two, but it's worth noting that that is only at medium to long range engagements. So you have to really be looking to line that shot up. <clears throat> the big question is why would having a bunch of extra eyes give you the ability to zoom in? <laughs> uh, as we discussed in the ATS Tarantella, uh, we discussed the piezo weave polymers and what they do in that sort of electrical generation. Well, one of the uses of piezo electricity is for ultra-fine optical focusing assemblies. So there's a chance that the arachnid here pulls some of that piezoelectrical uh, tech from the tarantella and that is lending to super accurate focusing abilities. Uh, unfortunately, you cannot wear the Tarantella and the Arachnid at the same time, so who knows? <laughs> and Golden Gun be kept ready longer in year two, so ATS-8 extends the duration of Golden Gun from 12 seconds to 15 and a half. So that gives you a, a whopping almost just over five seconds per shot, so you can really take your time and line them up. Not, I don't know many people who snipe with their golden gun, but if you wanted this is the helmet to wear, I guess. Let's see. This was another House of Wolves piece. Uh, it was brought. It was not originally brought forward. It was brought forward in April, the April update, uh, and it changed color when it did. Originally, it was gray, but they changed it to primary black, probably so it would match the Tarantella. Uh, and the jawline pieces were changed from plates to cables, probably also to match the Tarantella's uh, lower body part of that armor. Uh, as we just mentioned, 
The flavor text for this helmet doesn't make a lot of sense. Spiders aren't known for their long-range vision, so why would this helmet increase zoom? Let's talk about spider biology. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, most spiders have eight eyes, and I did some research into this. It's like 99% of all spiders have eight eyes, and the remaining 1%, nearly the entire remaining 1%, have six. There are some weird exceptions. Uh, apparently, there's species of spider that have two eyes, and I never want to see that because it sounds terrifying. <laughs> uh, scorpions can have up to 12 eyes. The ATS-8 has what appear to be 24 eyes. So this helmet's not messing around. Uh, they appear to be ocular devices anyway, and we mentioned in the Tarantella, the Tarantella, I believe, has 11 on the body. So those eyes are positioned all over the helmet, right? Yes. Even right on top and backwards? Yep. Yeah, now I get what you have the cloak on. <laughs> that would be so confusing. <laughs> so, uh, not, but for what it's worth, not all eight of a spider's eyes do the same thing. And this is a really cool like, little fun fact about spiders. So daylight hunting spiders have usually used three different kinds of eyes in their ocular array. They have side eyes called PLEs, posterior lateral eyes, uh, and they provide wide angle. They're wide angle and slightly blurry, but they are highly sensitive to motion. Once movement is detected, a spider will turn its body to look at its target and lock on with its front middle eyes, the AME, anterior median eyes. These eyes provide a clear, focused telephoto image. The spider can track moving prey by both body movements and using the muscles to internally swivel its elongated eye capsules so that the light-sensitive retina of each eye is always locked on its prey. As the spider closes distance, it will use its side front eyes, ALEs, anterior lateral eyes, to judge optimal striking distance. So, you know, I mentioned, I mean, there's a note here that says spiders don't have compound eyes like insects do, so get that out of your head. Uh, they have all these different kinds of eyes that are specially tailored for different stages of their hunt, which is actually really cool and makes a lot of sense uh, as a tactical sensorium for this particular helmet where all these different eyes are giving you all different kinds of, of input data about what your target could potentially be. So, and spiders have incredibly good low light vision as well, <laughs> worth noting. So if spiders can pull down this much targeting data from eight eyes, uh, although most arachnids do have other sensory organs, the ATS-8 is arguably capable of much, much more. Uh, <clears throat> the induced hallucinations integrate a broad-spectrum targeting data part plays to this idea, probably sampling a wide range of vision types and then cohering it into a single image, increasing the apparent resolution and allowing for the zoom feature the exotic provides. Uh, as for the induced hallucinations, it may imply that the input from the helmet bypasses the actual eyes of the wearer and then beams those images directly into the brain. Uh, directing the visual cortex, letting the wearer, quote-unquote, see more than any one eye would normally be capable of taking in. So that's a really long way of saying that this gun gives you zoom, and here's why. <laughs> Although you have a note here, Kex, about 
induced hallucinations. Yeah, um, when I um, when I read that, I I immediately go to the uh, series Fringe when they are sort of in that uh, what do you call it the floating uh, tank, mm-hmm. um, sensory deprivation tank, and they 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 induce hallucinations using LSD. So I was mm, sort of visioning that uh, those induced hallucinations were to sort of uh, make the uh, were uh, more adaptable to to gaining all these uh, new senses or uh, sort of like this broader image as you talk about with a high resolution so you don't freak out and run around <laughs> screaming <laughs> it's too high res I mean that would make sense especially with 24 different ocular inputs yeah. you lose your mind a little bit yeah going <laughs> couldn't see forward and two behind <laughs> from the back what a great show that was too and Zavala oh, yeah. was on it yeah he was yeah that was, Royals. speaking of I just started watching The Expanse uh, how's that it's pretty good so far, but the voice actress for Lakshmi 2 is a main character. So I was working Weird. on notes while I was watching it, and I heard her voice, and I immediately <laughs> looked up, like, what is happening? What what show did I just start watching? What is going on? Why do I hear Lakshmi? <laughs> You're writing down her quotes from that TV show <laughs> in the Destiny notes. Great. Well, I just finished Firefly again, so that's Kate and Ikora. And then I right. immediately jumped to The Expanse, and now I have Lakshmi. I it's love funny. You, you tweeted about that. Yeah. You're saying Firefly was the adventures of Cade and Ikora. It's it's hard, <laughs> man. It's hard now to not watch Firefly and think that. Yeah, well, their characters aren't dissimilar either. Not at all. So it's it's yeah, very much the adventures of Ikora and Cade. Zoe and her shotgun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, if you want to know what Cade did before the uh, collapse during the Golden Age, you can watch Desperate Housewives. Is in there. Oh no! And that also messes with my mind when you hear that voice. No one likes just watching that show. <laughs> or Castle. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then you start to make up headcanon for yourself. So now I'm watching The Expanse. And I'm like, oh, this was right at the start of the Golden Age, or maybe deep in the Golden Age. And this is actually Lakshmi too. She later makes the conversion to an EXO and ends up in the world of Destiny. <laughs> I'm only to episode four, so I got more to watch. Make it all fit in your little universe. That's right. Uh, so everything we just talked about with spider eyes and the arachnid, none of it explains how hunters are able to use the ATS-8 when 80% of their head is covered with a frabulous cloak. <laughs> uh, I didn't do a quick look about exactly how many of the eyes face just forward, but... They're like evenly spaced, aren't they? I think. No, they're not. The they're kind of all over the place. The same with the body armor. They're they're slightly symmetrical, but not completely. I know because I, I had to rotate the 3D model to count them all. <laughs> I mean, just Google imaging, like the the helmet with some of the hoods on, you can see seven, maybe eight of the eyes. Not quite, maybe seven, like facing out of the hood. The rest are all covered. So, I mean, it would give you an amazing view of the inside of your beautiful cloak, but yeah. I don't know if that's going to help you <laughs> kill things with your golden gun. Uh, and last note that the ATS Erected was featured, first featured prominently in the promotional trailers for The Dark Below. So a lot of people sort of freaked out about it when they first saw it. And then were thoroughly disappointed by it. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
apparently X-Ray was one of those hunters. I mean, I wanted to wear that so bad. It looked so cool, and I got it, and I was like, yes. And then I'm like, eh, no. I always thought that it should give you more vertical space, like more vertical view, so you couldn't be ambushed from above, like in the Crucible. Like, pull it, not instead of zooming in, pull the quote-unquote camera back and give you a, a higher vertical view, so... Like insane field of view. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to blame that on last gen consoles. That they couldn't do that. <clears throat> All right. So, well, Acleophage got nerfed into the ground. Not into the ground, but pretty hard when it comes to Golden Gun. And then the Arachnid was pretty lacking <laughs> when it came to modifications for Golden Gun. So let's talk about the one helmet that does an amazing thing for Golden Gun. Uh, Celestial Nighthawk. One of probably the best-looking exotics in the game. <clears throat> Starlight is your guide. No vacuum will contain you. Year one exotic perk, big game. Golden Gun fires one shot, delivering six times the damage while granting Keyhole, the Keyhole perk for over-penetration. In year one, it rolled with Ashes to Asset, which is super energy when you kill people with grenades, and inverse shadow, uh, increased super energy from killing minions of the darkness. This was considered by a lot of people to be a perfect helmet perk roll. <clears throat> uh, in year two, same thing, big game. Uh, Golden Gun fires one shot, delivering six times damage while granting keyhole. In year two, Nighthawk will always roll intellect uh, and can roll with any other helmet perks. It does have a hidden perk, uh, and that is increased accuracy while airborne. We'll talk about that, especially in reference to another helmet that we're going to talk about. Uh, the perk symbol is outstretched wings with the Nighthawk's eyes in the center. Uh, and yeah, Celestial Nighthawk. This was a, this was a big deal. Uh, Starlight is your guide. Uh, I believe this personally to be a reference to Sailing by Starlight, which is called Celestial Navigation. Uh, I couldn't find any other sort of references other than Always Let Your Conscious Be Your Guide. So, <laughs> Jiminy Cricket Nighthawk. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like a cricket head. And then there's No Vacuum Will Contain You, and extra, you've got notes here on vacuums that have nothing to do with cleaning my apartment. <laughs> yeah, well... I, as I was reading through it, I'm like, I know vacuums come up in the Grimoire before, so I started looking, and almost every other reference to it is in regards to uh, void and void light. Uh, there's there's quite a few entries about that, but nothing really um, that had to do with solar or anything like that. And so, as I was looking through there, I came across a couple things, you know, um, that, that a vacuum isn't really a true vacuum because there's still particles that, that exist in a vacuum. Um, and they've got this thing, there's this whole vacuum energy. It's like this underlying background energy that exists in space throughout the entire universe. Uh, and, and I talked to Cosmology and he said, well, it doesn't really, I don't think it really makes sense or doesn't really jive with the, uh, the whole Celestial Nighthawk uh, concept. Um, so then I, I looked a little more and the only thing I came up with that I thought might be, uh, maybe kind of a part of, of this description is, um, light travels faster in a vacuum because things like air and water and glass, etc., kind of slow the speed of light. 
And so uh, the speed at which it is slowed is called a refractive index. Um, so maybe just because if, you know, if, I don't know, shooting your gun in a vacuum, it would, you know, it, it overpenetrates or it goes faster and, and would be more likely to, to gain like a keyhole perk for, for overpenetration or, or something like that. But, you know, not, not much, but I just thought the use of vacuum there was kind of interesting. So I wanted to look more into it and didn't really find much. If anyone has any suggestions or comments of, of what you think, uh, vacuum, no vacuum will contain you is, is kind of referencing or could be related to definitely shoot us an email or, or tweet at us and let us know, let us know your thoughts. It means if you get sucked up in a Roomba while wearing this helmet, you, you can burst <laughs> right out of it. Right. Little robot vacuum coming at you the whole time you're running around with that helmet on. I mean, when I see it, I think of the dead orbit ship vacuum diagram. And I'm like, oh, the yep. vac- my vacuum contains me all the time because I fly around in, in vacuum diagram. Yeah, vacuum actually is probably used more on uh, ship descriptions or names than anywhere else. It was There were quite a few. I was a little shocked at how many there were that I didn't really really realize um I mean, if, then, unless vacuum here is just like a you know whatever synonym for space but it's, that's weird like no space will contain you what does that have to do with the nighthawk yeah well it's so like you've got the vacuum diagram and you've got uh metastability event which is like it, it's a, a warlock class item that again talks about it's weird it's like uh the Golden Age never triggered a false vacuum decay, which I don't know. That's <laughs> kind of kind of odd. It's it's a it's one of those kind of weird things. Um, the Ripship Pardoner has uh, in vacuum fire flows like water. So there's kind of a fire reference, I guess. I look kind of glazed over that, but still, it doesn't really say much about the the Nighthawk. Um, you know, Ikora talks about about a vacuum and, and the void. A little bit in, uh, I think it's uh, just oh, not ghost fragment void. Uh. In quantum field theory, a false vacuum is a metastable sector of space that appears to be a perturbative vacuum, but is unstable due to instation effects that may tunnel a lower energy state. The false vacuum is a local minimum, but not the lowest energy state. What does that have to do with the golden age? I don't know. In quantum field theory. <laughs> Vacuum refers to a ground state of space, i.e. space with as little energy as possible. Now, that's what Cosmos said. Yeah, so... All right, well, it could be relating to the helmet this came from. We'll talk about that when we get to it. All right. But as for what this actually does, regardless of its flavor text, uh, this thing was a revelation in, in how gunslingers approached boss fights, mostly. Uh, the Nighthawk was a revelation in year one, bringing Golden Gun up to snuff as a powerful boss killer, especially when Solar Burn was active. Uh, a lot of tests were done on this, uh, and I have a huge list here of what it can kill and what it cannot kill in one shot, uh, which is sort of the whole mythology behind the Golden Gun, which is a, a one-hit kill weapon. Uh, this list is only a year one list. Now in year two, you can vaporize almost anything with the buffs that have happened now with Golden Gun. Especially with Solar Burn on top of it. I think now two 
Nighthawk golden guns on Solar Burn, maybe without Solar Burn, can take out Omnigool. Like, you just run in and layer out, <laughs> uh, even without a tether. Uh, you All can right. drop... You can drop Crota's shield in one shot. Uh, you can drop Iryut in one shot. You can, oh, you can drop Iryut in one shot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's so satisfying to do. Uh, sword bearers, any of Valve's Tarek's lieutenants. Yeah, this thing, this changed. Like some exotics just sort of like boost a little bit of like the natural abilities of a class. Uh, but Nighthawk really changed how gunslingers could take an approach to some of these things. Uh, the recent upgrades, patch 2.3.0 to Golden Gun, have carried through to Nighthawk, making it more powerful than ever. Uh, as my notes here, uh, a Nighthawk Golden Gun shot can one shot will stun Oryx in King's Fall, even on hard mode. <laughs> uh, and it can deliver upwards of 50,000 damage a shot to Omnigool. So, it is no joke. It is safe to say that if you are caught in the crosshairs of a Nighthawk gunslinger <laughs> in the Crucible, uh, or potentially if your entire team is caught in the crosshairs, you will all go down in one shot. I cannot wait for a private match to do that. I want to line up six people in a row, like... Uh, in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> uh, although it's not visible to the wearer, when aiming down sights or when Golden Gun is active, the eyes on the Nighthawk glow. Uh, it's a cool touch to this gun, uh, but you'll never see it if you're the only one wearing it. Um, as for what a Nighthawk is, there's a bunch of different things. This could be a reference to a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, the most obvious one is the bird reference due to the shape of the helmet. So, a Nighthawk is a nocturnal bird uh, within the Nightjar family. I mean, there's some really crazy names here. Uh, Cordelinae, maybe? Uh, and Capramulgidae. Whatever, Nighthawks and Nightjars. <clears throat> Uh, the term Nighthawk was first recorded in the King's, King James Version of the Bible in 1611. Uh, was originally the local name in England for the European Nightjar. Its use in the Americas refers to a number of the genus Cordelias and related genera first recorded in 1778. And there's a bunch of different Nighthawk names. Banjtailed Nighthawk, Plaintailed Nighthawk, uh, Narkunda Nighthawk, Short-tailed Nighthawk. So Celestial Nighthawk fits right in. Uh, with those classifications of the subfamilies. Poor that one, the least Nighthawk. I feel bad for that. <laughs> <laughs> or the lesser Nighthawk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably the second most popular use of Nighthawk here is the Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk, the infamous stealth fighter. Uh, I remember being a kid when this thing was first revealed to the public. It was... It was like a weird, exciting, like, in that time where it's like the 80s and the early 90s and everybody's got like the poster of the stealth bomber on their wall. <laughs> They're like, they made a fighter out of it. It's awesome. <clears throat> uh, yeah, the single-seat twin-engine stealth attack aircraft that was developed by Lockheed Martin Secretive Skunk Works Division and operated in the U.S. Air Force. The F-117 was based on Have Blue Tech and was the first operational aircraft to be designed around stealth 
technology. Uh, the maiden flight of the Nighthawk took place in 1981. The aircraft achieved initial operating capability status in 83. The Nighthawk was shrouded in secrecy until it was revealed in 1988. Uh, in April of 1992, F-117 aircraft were flown into Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, arriving during daylight, publicly displayed to a crowd of tens of thousands. Uh, I, yeah, I remember that day. I remember when these things were a big deal uh, in Desert Storm when they were talking about like the secret stealth fighter that they had. Yeah, I actually bought a, a cassette tape of like in the F-117. Uh, it was awesome to see. It is such a... And it was funny because you know, people at... You look at it and you're like, oh, that's kind of a silly looking plane. But then you're like, but it's the stealth, it's the fighter version of the stealth bomber. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, man, and I think of stealth bomber and I only think of that, the movie Broken Arrow. Who <laughs> uh, is Christian Slater and, oh, God. and what's his name? John Travolta. John Travolta. Yeah. You're insane, Deke. Yeah, ain't it cool? <laughs> that's a super '90s movie. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> but that's the B two bomber. Right? Yeah, that's the B two stealth bomber they have in yeah, that movie. Yeah, it's, it's retard cousin or something. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Wow. It's, yeah, it's not nearly as cool looking, and they had major issues with the radar during production. They couldn't tell mountains and clouds apart, so that's kind of a problem <laughs> for <dangerous>. a pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Uh, the other big reference here, and <clears throat> this Katai sort of tentatively back to Dark Souls, but the Celestial Nighthawk bears a very similar resemblance to the helmet worn by Griffith the White Hawk from the anime manga Berserk. Uh, he's the leader of the Band of Hawk. I know we have some Berserk fans in the fan chat. It's a pretty popular anime. Uh, the The dudes behind... Dynasty Warriors are making a Berserk version of that game, and I cannot wait for it. <clears throat> uh, but then it's also worth noting that the Dark Sun Gwendolyn from Dark Souls bears an uncanny resemblance to Griffith from Berserk, who wears a helmet that looks like the Nighthawk. So, there you have it. Uh, there's also a firearms company called Nighthawk Customs. They make... Uh, lines of custom firearms, including the Predator, the Starhawk, the Warhawk, and the Shadowhawk. <clears throat> Maybe somebody should ping them to make a Celestial Nighthawk. What else? There's some other weird stuff for the name. I mean, Nighthawk is a pretty, not uncommon. It's a cool-sounding word, so it shows up a lot. Uh, there was a, a glider designed in 1928, the Bolus SP-1 Paperwing, that had a modification of it created that was called the Nighthawk. Uh, it's currently on display in the Los Angeles County Museum of Natural History. Uh, there's the Gibson Nighthawk, which is a guitar. Again, Gabble's not here. I'm not sure what he plays. <clears throat> but uh, introduced in 93, the Nighthawk represented a radical change from traditional Gibson guitars. Uh, and I believe it had a lot of character. They they thought that this was a ripoff of some Fender Strats. Was it the Fender Strat that the Nighthawk ripped off? I'm not sure. But yeah, it's a guitar. So you can put on your Celestial Nighthawk and play the guitar. <laughs> uh, 
Nighthawk is the name of a, both a DC and Marvel Comics character. In the DC universe, he's a cowboy whose real name is Hannibal Hawks, and he appeared in Western comics. So that ties into Gunslinger a little bit. Uh, over in the Marvel universe, there have been five versions of Nighthawk, and he's a supervillain turned superhero. Uh, he's part of the Sinister Squadron Sinister. So, doubt as to that. Uh, the Honda Nighthawk is a U.S. model designation for some of Honda's CB Series motorcycles. Had one of those. Did you? Yeah. How awesome. Did you paint? Fast. Did you paint stars on the gas tank and call it Celestial Nighthawk? Um, no. <laughs> it was black and gold, though. So. Oh, nice. That's something. <clears throat> uh, Nighthawk is two different movies. It's a 1924 Western film. Uh, it's considered a lost film. And in a 1938 American crime film as well. Uh, and then there's also an unincorporated community in Washington State, where Bungie happens to be located, also caused Nighthawk. <clears throat> and was named for the Nighthawk mine that was nearby. That's everything I could dig up on the name Nighthawk. I mean, Celestial is Celestial. But yeah, th and this thing's a monster now. And this thing takes awesome shaders now, too. Uh, they did a gorgeous job. Like I think I mentioned all the time, I pretty much only wear black and white shaders. Although I have been wearing Val's Guard, which is the black and gold shader, I think. And, that looks pretty good on some things. Uh, looks awesome with Nighthawk. Uh, yeah, this gun's a monster. If, if you are a gunslinger hunter and if you have not tried Nighthawk since the Golden Gun update, man, just <laughs> go find something you think is a tough enemy and just blow it away. <laughs> uh, the week there oh, was... You mean, sorry, you, you mean the Valsierde? The, the shader, Valsierde. <laughs> I was about to say I'm going to ask, ask you, Kex, to say it because it looks like the right pronunciation. <laughs> like, Sorry. That's, that's exactly right. what I meant. That's what I said, right? Oh yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, perfect. We're, we're, we're just gonna Go dub on. Kex's voice over mine for the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll sound lovely. <laughs> All right, so that's the three big, sort of gunslinger-specific helmets. Uh, although we just had a conversation in our Slack chat earlier today about uh, someone. I don't know if I should call them out by name. <laughs> uh, who wears Nighthawk all the time because he just loves how it looks. <laughs> no, <laughs> this story is great. Yeah, yeah. No, no matter what subclass, subjob, except when he's on Gunslinger, then he doesn't wear it because he wants all those golden gunshots. <laughs> <laughs> so, perfect. The, the math now on Golden Gun with Nighthawk is crazy, especially in a solar burn. Solar burn and airborne is even more insane. Uh, everything in the game becomes like this glorious one-hit target for you to just aim your golden gun at. It's awesome. Uh, but that's gunslingers. They got three specific to them and their golden gun. So let's move on and talk about some blade dancer stuff, which they only have one specific to them. Mask of the Third Man. This was my chosen exotic, really, in in year one on Blade Dancer. It wasn't me. It was the third man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I read that every time. Well, I only, yeah, because of Jim Carrey. <laughs> right, right. 
we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, year one, the perk was called Unstable Current. Arcblade attacks use less super energy. Uh, it reduced the cost uh, by about 25%, and I think it gave you four more swings. It upped it from 11 to between 14 and 15, depending on how quick you were moving and what you were doing and what perks you had enabled. Uh, its built-in perks in year one were Switchblade and Infusion, uh, which made it a popular helmet for the Crota's End Raid, because Infusion is getting your health back with an Orb of Light. <clears throat> in year two, same perk, Unstable Current, Arcblade Attacks use less super energy. Uh, Mask of the Third Man will always roll intelligent. Int. Intellect. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even after you made such a point out of it yesterday, I know it's just—it's what comes into my head automatically. You're too intelligent. Spent spent too long playing Final <laughs> Fantasy XI. Uh, the perk symbol is the arc blade symbol. Although in year one, if you looked at it via just the tooltip, it was the hunter icon. All right. So who's this third man, X-ray? Yeah, so, again, all I hear when I, well, I hear two things when I read that, or when I first read that back when I first got it was, uh, so in 1993 there was a drama called The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, where he played Dr. Richard Kimball, uh, who responds to the accusation of murdering his wife to the police with, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man, and uh, coincidentally would have made the one-armed man that third person present during the crime, because I think... From what I remember, he was, like, apparently drugged or passed out or present but didn't know what was going on or, or something. And he kind of came to and saw what was going on or saw this man leaving. Um, and then a year later in uh, <laughs> The Mask with uh, Jim Carrey uh, playing Stanley Ipkiss uh, during the park scene when he's being arrested... <laughs> Uh, he, he looks up and he spouts out the same line. He's like, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man. You know, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the way I, I hear those. And, and uh, as good, both good movies for the 90s. And uh, it's funny because when I went online and looked, there were people asking, where did the quote, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man, where did that come from? And so many people said, oh, well, it's from The Mask. And then there's all these know-it-alls are like, um... No, it's from the fugitive. <laughs> from the fugitive. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just great watching the the little bit of salt come out. So yeah, yeah I, I know I a lot of I, I know a lot of people in law enforcement, and this is always a common theme when people are arrested for a crime, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It was that guy or this guy or this girl. Or <laughs> Spoiler: It was the one-armed man. Oh, you just I gotta go the tell fugitive. them that. It's nineteen ninety-three. These exotic episodes have been so full of spoilers. From 90s and 80s <laughs> movies. I don't think those are considered spoilers anymore. <clears throat> All right, so the third man could stand for a lot of things. Uh, again, this could just be the reference. It could be the the third man uh, is the one-armed man. And you do only have one knife, so even if you were a one-armed hunter, you could still use Arcblade. Uh Classically, sort of historically, the third man argument was first offered by Plato. Uh, it is a philosophical criticism of Plato's own theory of forms. Uh, the argument was furthered by Aristotle, who used the example of a man, hence the name of the argument, to explain the subjection to Plato's theory. He posits that if a man is a man because he partakes in the form of a man, 
then a third form would be required to explain how man and the form of a man are both a man, and so on, ad infinitum. Uh, so, breaking down these references, this is one of the few exotics that I pulled out where, like, which we just had with Nighthawk, right? Like, we listed off a whole ton of things with the name Nighthawk. There's some more obvious references to the item we find in the game, and there's some that are just like, hey, they're out there, they just share the name and that's it. With the third man, though, the major refer the three major references that we have all can be tied back into uh, this helmet and the, the lore of destiny a bit. And it's worth mentioning that the mask of the third man helmet is really just looks like like an acolyte or knight face from the hive. It's got the three green eyes, the, the weird, dark, reddish-brown skin, and then the, the lower jaw plate is covered by uh, that mask model, the helmet model we talked about earlier. So this seems pretty explicitly tied to some kind of hive lore, and these three references, including the one I just read, uh, play into that a bit. So in this particular one, we have this reference plays heavily towards Eris Morn and her appearance, which now bears striking similarities to the Hive, though it is somewhat inexplicable how she retains that form. She carved the third eye out of uh, a Hive and jammed it into her own forehead so she could see better in the Hive tunnels. So that loops back to the helm, uh, which will give the wearer an exceptional resemblance to a Hive acolyte or knight. So in this case, we have uh, a man is a man because he partakes in the form of a man or woman. Uh, but is this count? Does this work on for the hive? So we have uh, Eris, who is a hive because she partakes in the form of a hive. Uh, and then the third form would be required to explain how the man and the form are both a man. Uh, or in this case, Eris. So we had this sort of feedback loop created between the wearer of Mask of the Third Man, Eris's appearance, and the appearance of the Hive. And when we wear the helmet, we are a man or woman, we're a guardian, taking on the appearance of a Hive. And in Eris's case, it's a permanent appearance. So this Third Man argument, uh, sort of ad infinitum, works between uh, the guardian, Eris, and the Hive. So then we have the second reference, which is the third man factor or third man syndrome. Uh, and this refers to reported situations where an unseen presence, such as a spirit, provides comfort or support during a traumatic experience. One study of cases involving adventures reported that the largest group of involved climbers with solo sailors and shipwreck survivors being the second most common group, followed by polar explorers. Some journalists have related this concept of a guardian angel or imaginary friend. Modern psychologists use the third man factor to treat victims of trauma, and cultivated inner character lends imagined support or comfort. So again, going back to Eris, uh, I have a note here. Is there any greater surviving victim of trauma in Destiny than Eris Morn? <laughs> uh, and we know that she did have a form of support uh, and comfort when she was down there. Uh, but this 
also comes up in the uh, the poem The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot, which refers back to an explorer, this guy Shackleton, who was described experiencing this. Uh, I'll just read this excerpt real quick, just because it's here. Who is the third who walks always beside you? When I count, there are only you and I together. But when I look ahead, up the white road, there is always another one walking beside you. Gliding, wrapped in a brown mantle, hooded. I do not know whether a man or a woman. But who is that on the other side of you? T.S. Eliot, The Wasteland. That would creep me out. <laughs> Going besides the guy. He's like, yeah, is this the third guy with me here? Yeah, I'm going to go this way. Well, I mean, wrapped in a brown hood, man or woman, always walk. So... Then, like, play. I, I played this in my head. So, this rebukes a bunch of theories that I have, which is so I don't like it, but I got to mention it anyway. Uh, the reference plays with any number of possibilities, including that of Toland and his journal, which Eris specifically states helped her through her time trapped in the hive tunnels. Uh, and in that sort of theory, that would mean that Toland and his journal really are figments of Eris's imagination, they are her third man. Uh, or in this case, her her <laughs> imaginary friend who helped her survive her extreme trauma. Although arguably, that could also be us, I suppose, as well. Although we never travel with her. Uh, but that makes us a figment of their imagination, too. Well, could it be that she had Toland's journals and then she was sort of imagining Toland as the third man, even though he would have been gone by that point? Well, here's the thing. Yes, absolutely. But what if by that point, Toland is already in the Ascendant Plane and was actually accompanying Eris? <laughs> yeah, that's... wondering he just like, pops out occasionally like, Hey, Eris, how you doing? And then Go she doesn't way. know if it's a figment of her imagination or actually Toland. Oh, man, he could have, like, freaked her out. Oh, yeah. Purpose, like, just had fun with it. Like, I'm going to pop out of this hallway and be like, Go the other way. <laughs> There's knights down there. Like... Uh, so there's that that whole part. I I like both these theories. Uh, I like the sort of the philosophy Plato version of it because it plays to that feedback loop of the wearer of the helm and Eris and the hive. And then I like this version of it because this seriously seems like you know uh, a condition that would affect somebody who is exactly in Eris's position uh, and exactly what she experienced down in the hive tunnels. So, and maybe it freaks her out that we're standing in front of her wearing this mask. I have a great screenshot. I remember when they announced they were moving Eris out of her little ship hitch up in the corner of the tower and moving her to her Harry Potter nook under the stairs. Uh, I stood next to her uh, wearing Mask of the Third Man and took a bunch of screenshots before she was gone. Did you use the boo taunt? No, no. it wasn't available then. Yeah, there was no emotes at that point. <laughs> you can still do that now. That's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> jump out. Or dress all in the all taken gear and jump out and do it. Get dressed in all Eris's gear with the mask of the third man. Like you get the Eris Morn pattern stuff. Oh man. So here we go. Custom crucible match. One person wears an Eris mask 
and everybody else has to wear mask of the third man and chase her down and they can only use melee. Oh, God. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I was just thinking about, like, when you get to the tower and everything's all lagging out and none of the NPCs have appeared yet. Because that happens. Does that happen mm-hmm. to you? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you pop that on quickly and go stand in Eris's spot and pretend to be Eris. Because <laughs> I've done that without being dressed up. I've gone and taken a screenshot of me standing in the spot of each vanguard. And Eris, because at one time it was like five minutes, there's no one around. So I was like running around like, hey, look, I'm Rahul now. I've got the mask on. <laughs> hey, look, I'm Banshee. And <laughs> do emotes and things. Yeah. You should do that. Put the Eris gear in the mask of the third man and go pretend to be Eris. I like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, private matches are going to be so much fun. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> All right, the last reference here I have is to Kim Philby. Uh, Harold Adrian Russell Kim Philby. Uh, he was a kind of famous high-ranking British intelligence agent. He was a spy. He was a double agent. But he came to be referred to as the third man. Uh, in 1963, Philby was revealed to be a member of the spy ring, now known as the Cambridge Five. Uh, there was four other members, obviously. Of the five, Philby was believed is believed to have been the most successful in providing secret information to the Soviet Union. His activities were moderated only by Joseph Stalin's fears that he was secretly on Britain's side. Uh, within the Cambridge Five, he is referred to as the third man. Uh, so this spy angle plays a little bit towards Mask of the Third Man's visual similarities with Sam Fisher's iconic night vision goggles from the Splinter Cell series. So I knew I had to mention that because I would have gotten a million people yelling at me that Mask of the Third Man looks just like <laughs> Sam Fisher's goggles. Uh, there's a last reference here, uh, which is the 1949 British noir film. Uh, this is one of my favorite films. It's tough to tie this back to an exotic that gives you three glowing green eyes and lets you swing an electric knife very quickly, <laughs> but uh, uh, The Third Man, a classic 1949 British noir film directed by Carol Reed, widely regarded as one of the best films of all time. Uh, has Orson Welles, one of my favorite people of all time in it. Uh, amazing atmospheric thriller, incredible piece of cinema. Uh, there's a great quote that's not here. Uh, so these are Gabble's notes real quick. Set in post-war Vienna, Austria, the third man stars Joseph Cotton as Holly Martins or every pulp westerns who appears penniless as a guest of his childhood chum, Harry Lyme, Orson Welles, only to find him dead. Martins develops a conspiracy theory after learning of a third man present at the time of Harry's death. Uh, running into interference from British officer... Major Calloway, and falling head over heels for Harry's grief-stricken lover, Anna. So again, this plays to the flavor text. It wasn't me, it was a third man, and it's sort of like a more spy sense. Uh, but that third man has been used quite a bit. But this this is a pretty amazing and iconic film. Uh, if you've never seen it, I would absolutely recommend going and watching it. Uh, the, little, the local theater right near me sometimes plays this film, so I get to go see it. See it? See it in the picture shows. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, great film. Although the tagline for that movie is Haunted by a Thousand Men. Haunted by a Lovely Girl. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of 
I guess if you were a year one blade dancer in the Crucible, you were like the first target for everyone, so you were hunted by a thousand men, and then haunted by Eris. I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the lovely girl. She's a lovely girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, this term, the third man, shows up a lot, uh, but not in proper form. It's worth noting in the flavor text, it is capitalized, third man. Uh, so, But as a thing, it shows up all the time. Uh, just as, quote-unquote, third man, lowercase. There's some, I don't think I need to read these. It's John Connolly's The Reapers, uh, Neil Davies' A World of Assassins. They all mention this third man thing. Uh, the Switchblade Infusion combo in year one made this the go-to helmet for Blade Dancers. Uh, running sword at Crota. <clears throat> if you were a if you were the Blade Dancer, you became like the elected sword bearer every time people ran Crota, uh, and mostly because you could run Escape Artist uh, and Infusion. So Infusion gave you a health back with an Orb of Light, and Escape Artist lets you get your hits in with the sword and immediately proc invisibility by dropping the sword and using your Blink Strike and then pick the sword back up. Uh, and as noted, in Year 1 and into Year 2, this helmet paired with the Blade Dancer perk Encore allows Arc Blade to last a scary long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Mask of the Third Man uh Encore was like the the uh, transcendence of its day. <laughs> it's like you hear you hear the arc blade in the distance, and you think that person's never going to make it to you. And then all of a sudden, four seconds later, across Twilight Gap, Blade Dancer comes out of nowhere. Turns, yep, been there. <laughs> turns you into toothpaste mist. And that sound when they're hunting you and slashing. <laughs> 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 Uh, this doesn't completely offset the recent nerfs that happened to Arcblade, which it uses more energy when you're in the air, so you can't use it to cover distances super quickly anymore. This helmet will offset it, but it doesn't completely negate it, unfortunately. Uh, and that is the only Blade Dancer-specific helmet. All the rest uh, are either for Night Stalkers or General, but let's get to them quickly. Because you still got a lot to cover. He's uh, knuckle red, knuckle red. Yeah, good, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, knucklehead radar, knuckle red hadar. There you go. <laughs> knucklehead radar. Uh, you can see the point, right? Who wants to team up with one? Uh, exotic perk year one sensor pack. Radar remains visible when aiming primary weapons. Perks in year one, light the blade and inverse shadow. In year two, exact same thing, sensor pack. Radar remains visible while aiming primary weapons. Uh, Perk in year two, knucklehead radar can roll any stat split, uh, but will always roll with inverse shadow. Uh, Which I said is hilarious because this helmet is used more often in PvP than PvE. Uh, Inverse shadow converts uh, kills from Minions of Darkness into Super Energy, and it does not work in the Crucible, so good luck with that. Uh, the perk symbol is crosshairs with uh, two arrows in the center of it. And yeah, it's, this is a super situational exotic. I don't think I've ever worn, worn one in my... No, I have worn it once or twice when I first got it, but I don't know. Is it, I mean, you could just roll a gun 
that has third eye and not need this at all. Yeah, but you can use other perks on guns then if you have this one. So that's the only yeah, point of it. But you're wasting <laughs> a you're wasting a great exotic armor slot for. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just trying to. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're a knucklehead if you wear it. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry to everyone who wears this. Uh, quick note: uh, a knuck, which is short for knucklehead, is U.S. military slang for a fighter pilot. Uh, originally the name of the mechanical coupling device for RF Knucklehead. This is great. So this was actually a dude's name. Uh, originally the name of the mechanical coupling device developed by RF Knucklehead in 1942. Uh, uh, fictional character invented by the U.S. Army to show new recruits what not to do, a la Goofus and Gallant. His adventures were displayed and posters hung up around Air Force <laughs> training fields. Uh, can you imagine if you were just like, in the army in 1942 and you happen to, like some posters are like yeah like we can do it go america and then there's like rf knucklehead on a poster like <laughs> don't blow yourself up it's not very inspiring uh and then i love this i love these notes here the next two notes literally just read <laughs> mash and sesame street so <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna let x-ray handle those <laughs> well i made comments on them both i just didn't i didn't want to i didn't know if they'd Deserved a spot there or not. I kind of threw them out there for, hey, what do you guys think type of thing. But apparently they stayed, so I'm going to talk about it. So the TV show MASH uh, and, and movies, um, there was a, a character named Corporal Walter Eugene Radar O'Reilly. And uh, he's in both the novels, the film, and the TV series. Um, he was also in a couple episodes of After MASH, uh, which was a, a TV pilot called Walter and... and it was, I don't think he did very well. But uh, anyway, uh, this guy, this character who's played by uh, Gary Berghoff um, in both the film and on TV is the only regular character played by a single actor. His full name is never given in the original novel or film, but on the TV series, it is Walter Eugene O'Reilly, later the novels uh, by uh, Richard Hooker and, and William Butterworth give his full name J. Uh, Robespierre O'Reilly. But anyway, Radar is from Ottawa, Iowa, and joined the Army out of high school. Uh, he seemed to have this extrasensory perception appearing at his commander's side before being called, and <coughs> before being called and finishing his sentences. He also had exemplary or exceptional hearing, uh, where he could hear helicopters before anyone else could, and he could tell by the rotor sounds if they were coming in loaded or not. Uh, it was these abilities that earned him his na his nickname Radar, and uh, the character was inspired by uh, company clerk Don Schaefer, who was born in Ottawa or Autumn Autumwa Autumwa. There's an M in there. and uh, nicknamed Radar by his compatriots. Uh, served alongside Hornberger in Korea. So, anyway, I thought that was that again. My mind works weird, but that's what I thought of when I started researching Radar. I'm like, hey, here's this whole guy named Radar and MASH. Let's see what that says. But for him to have kind of that, that extra sensory perception and ability that, to, you know, know what's going on around him and, and before anyone else did, that kind of reminded me of, you know, the main perk sensory pack. So, uh, and then also, if you have kids or were a kid and watch this Sesame Street. the best comment we've ever had in any show notes we've ever written should i should i read it <laughs> word so for word yes 
So, Radar was the name of Big Bird's teddy bear on Sesame Street, and X-Ray, me, named my first teddy bear X-Ray, Aww. or I named him Radar, and uh, <laughs> I still I still have that teddy bear today. It's at my mom's in a box in her basement. Aww. Poor Radar. I know. <laughs> but, but yeah, so Radar. There you go. And the only piece I have here is that the thumbnail for this helmet changed along with many others in year two. The holographic projection now sits closer to the center of the visor, but I don't think that's actually reflected in the in-game model. It's tough to see because holographic effects do not show up when you look them up in the armory. <laughs> so it just looks like a dopey helmet. Uh, but it does have this cool like holographic uh, radar effect over the front of the helmet when you actually wear it. But there's not much on on knucklehead radar we'll talk about pilots more when we get to uh, one of these last helmets so there you go I'm sorry if you're a knucklehead radar fan I'm not going to talk about it anymore <clears throat> speaking of helmets that not a lot of people wear uh, Skyburner's Annex this is actually a really awesome piece Skyburner's Annex to die twice in a strange land first by Oryx's hand then by yours this is only in year two uh, it was introduced to Taken King. The exotic perk is Versatile Shooter. Heavy weapon kills have a chance to create orbs. Orbs collected while your super is full have a chance to grant special ammo. The annex will always roll Intellect uh, and Heavy Lifting, which is more super energy from heavy kills. Makes sense. Uh, the perk symbol is a really cool symbol. I know I've seen it before. I have it here as the uh, Orb of Light drop symbol. It's very similar to the Thanatonauts symbol uh, on the front of Alchemist Raiment, although just the the perk one. It's, it's more of a diamond shape on the Raiment, and it's more of a circle shape here on Annex. If I can go and track that down, I'm, I'll make an amendment at the start of the next episode. Uh, so the Skyburners. Uh, Kex, you know all about the Skyburners because they're in the Lord chart. They're one of those these Cabal factions. Yeah, well, I wish I had it up here. Um, I <laughs> I didn't come prepared for for that, so I can't really uh, well, feel you. You better take it. They're the Cabal deployment on Phobos. They can command that base, the first base that is attacked by Oryx in the very beginning of the Taken King. That is the Skyburners base. Uh, they are deployed all over the place. Uh, Valis to Arik has some Skyburners on his crew. Uh, we'll talk about those in a little bit. Uh, interestingly, though, on the exotic, Skyburners is all one word. But if you are killed by the Skyburners in-game, the kill cam will report it as Sky Space Burners as two words. But then if you look it up in the grimoire, it's back to being one word, Skyburners. So, come on, lore editors over at Bungie. Caught one. Uh... And then Annex, aside from its meaning as a kind of building, an Annex is also a kind of bicycle helmet. So, put that in your head, and now imagine all the Cabal running around wearing bicycle helmets. Uh, so this is where this starts to get a little bit creepy. Uh, this helmet is literally the head of the Taken Skyburner Centurion Vro or Rune, uh, the Hand of Oryx. He is the boss of the mission Outbound Signal. Uh, I still have PTSD about that 
mission because it was the, one of the first things I did in the Taken King and I was severely underleveled for it. It took me like a half an hour hiding behind a bunch of boxes to kill this guy. Is this the one that's in the bridge? Yes. Like the Cabal ship on the Dreadnought? Yep. Ah, the one that I spent half an hour literally jumping and throwing a grenade and then running again and then jumping <laughs> over him and throwing a grenade and somehow I killed him? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was also severely underleveled for this mission. Yep, that and, was uh, rough. Taking a hard. Yeah, I I hid in the back behind those boxes, and just jumped up, threw a grenade over the top, went back to hiding. Jumped up, threw a grenade over the top, went back to hiding. Uh, but yeah, if you play this mission, take a good look at this guy's face. Uh, it is exactly the Skyburner's annex. This is his head or his helmet, at least. And that explains the flavor text uh, to die twice in a strange land. So. First by Oryx's hand, where he was once a cabal and then taken, uh, and then later killed by us. Uh, in class, Despite the classic garden tradition of wearing the parts of our enemies, the Flavor Texas helmet reveals a grim and sad story for a soldier who is just doing his job. Uh, it's worth noting that Vro'urun equates being taken to death, uh, and that seems in line for what we know about the cabal. Uh, they're very sort of will, honor, and command chain oriented to, so to have that stripped away from you is probably a very unpleasant experience. <laughs> might as well just be, might as well just be dead. Uh, and then we or worn by us. Yeah, and then we finish the job and say, I'm going to wear your head as a hat. So he gets, take, <laughs> he gets taken twice. <laughs> it's like uh, we stop, we kill him, and we look down and we're just like, you know what? I want to take that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have if, that, thank you. You just kind of wedge it off his me. head. <laughs> all those headshots didn't damage him at all hmm let's put that on us like the whole let's make the airplane out of the black box yeah exactly yeah. Uh, I made a note here that the orb this is the orb factory helmet for Night Stalkers uh, that when you so creating an orb with a heavy weapon stacks on top of other orb creation perks uh, including light of the pack and also including uh, I believe it's Thrive by the Sword on Boltcaster, meaning that you could tether an enemy and kill them with Boltcaster while wearing Skyburner's Annex and potentially generate three orbs uh, in one go. So when you start adding that up, you can create a ton of orbs with this thing. Oh, it's Live by the Sword is the Boltcaster perk. Uh this is my my brother runs Hunter. He wears this. We use it a lot when super kills in Challenge of the Elders. Nothing beats this helmet and a, a sword, especially Boltcaster, with that perk enabled. You, you're you an orb factory. There's more than your team could ever possibly use. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, and I mentioned that this perk might be related to Ro'arun's use of Axion Dart, although this is like the the light version of it. We take the helmet, we purify it, and instead of spewing out little death blobs, it spews out little light blobs. But, yeah, this is, I feel like it's an underrated helmet. Uh, but with the right build, it can do wonders for your team. I wear it every once in a while. It was one of my re-rolling projects. <clears throat> and that's Skyburner's Annex. So, if you want to like, I always feel like when I'm wearing it, I should be able to walk, like, through a pack of Taken, and they'd be like, oh, look, oh, it's that dude Ro Arun. He must be on a diet, but he's looking pretty good. 
and they leave me alone, but they don't. Like Ola Coolshelm, if you go into hive territory. Yeah. Like, He's escaped. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> or the the raid helm for Titans. Oh, the war priest is back. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. In fact, I find that no matter what helmet you're wearing, if you run into a pack of Taken and any other enemy, and this this bothers me. I'm going to mention this because it bugs the hell out of me. So a good example is the Vex. I was hunting Vex a couple days ago for a bounty, and the Taken appear. Now, if you do nothing, if you're not visible, the Vex will fight the Taken. That makes sense. The Vex sort of abhor the Taken because the Taken lead to the end of the Vault of Glass. Yet if you show up on the scene, they will stop fighting each other and kill you or attack you, even if you're only killing the Taken. Now, if you were the Vex, wouldn't you say, oh, damn, a Guardian just showed up? Wait, he's only killing the only other thing in the universe that scares us. Maybe we should leave him alone. No, Hobgoblin snipers will still try and kill you while you are helping them. I mean, maybe they just know you're going to kill them next, but still. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> they know you're going to turn against them. <laughs> well, if they'd stop shooting at me, maybe I'd leave them alone. Would you? If they weren't part of a bounty, maybe I would. Yeah, yeah. That, that may be. I don't think that's good <laughs> enough for them. <laughs> I'm just trying to run them over with my sparrow. It'll be fine. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Uh, so that's Graviton Forfeit. Uh, awesome helm for Night Stalkers, but works with all classes. Uh, let's that talk. Skyburn no, that was Skyburner's Annex. Graviton Forfeit's the next one. Yeah, I said, yeah. didn't I say Skyburner's Annex? No, you said Graviton no. Forfeit. Your mind's already there. You're excited. My mind is yeah, already there. That's because Graviton Forfeit is the best exotic that's ever been put into <laughs> Destiny. And if they took all the other ones away, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> uh, Graviton Forfeit. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are. You stay out there too long, you're not coming back. Not the same way you left anyway. And that's attributed to Tevis. <laughs> Man, this thing's awesome. Year two only. Uh, the exotic perk is Elusive Shadow. It unlocks the Night Stalker subclass node Shade Step for free, allowing you to run uh, Keen Scout or, I believe, Predator uh, if you prefer. Uh, you can run Shades, yep, Shade Step, Predator, and Keen Scout. I run Keen Scout uh, unless I'm in the Crucible, and then I run Predator uh, with with Quiver because it's mean. Uh, it will always roll Intelligence, Intellect, damn it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the smarts. Uh, It'll roll the smarts. Yes, I have high intelligence. <laughs> it rolls head stuff. Brain food. Uh <laughs> And it will always roll heavy lifting, uh, which is more super energy from heavy kills. Uh, the perk symbol is the shade step icon. So, Sherb, you have some notes here about the meaning of Graviton Forfeit? Oh, yeah, just breaking down the name of it. Um, so I pulled up, like, a info page. So in theoretical physics, the Graviton is a hypothetical elementary particle that me mediates the force of gravitation in the framework of quantum field theory. To which I went, what? So I looked up an easy way of describing that, and that was gravitons are tiny particles that carry the force of gravity. Um, gravity, sorry. Uh, they are what brings you back down to Earth when you jump. And to forfeit means to lose or give up something. So essentially, graviton forfeit is like giving up the force of gravity. Hence, shade stepping. Sweet. 
Love no, it. Gra- no gravity for me. <laughs> Gravity's overrated. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're an enemy of gravity anyway on your hunter. Oh yeah. Up in the sky. <laughs> uh, this is the only Night Stalker specific exotic in the entire game. They have no gloves, no boots, nothing specific to them except for this one piece. But it's okay because it's the best looking one in the game, and Night Stalkers are the best. So it's, it's only it's only fitting. Uh, I have a note here. Night Stalkers may touch the void, but the form fit seems to transmute the hunter's head and maybe their brain, maybe their thoughts, into pure void energy. Uh, that touch the void line comes from the Night Stalker opening cutscene. Some of us touch the void. Uh, we've talked a lot about void light on the show. Kex, you even mentioned talking about it uh, as an aspect of the lore you enjoy. And while it is one of the tree of major known sources of light, or flavors as we call them, uh, it does seem to have slightly more ominous aspects to it uh, than solar or arc. Uh, I think that's perpetrated a lot by void walkers. I think uh, we talked about the exotic swords, dark drinkers, slightly more ominous flavor text behind it, uh, implying that the void energy may be a little bit more of a trade-off. It's not maybe not quite as pure and cleansing as solar, um, or as sort of like quick and sharp as arc. It's got a it's got a darker tinge to it. Yeah, it, I mean, if you if you read about void, I mean, you, it it can imply a lot of different things. So it's hard to to just sort of distinguish what's void and what's capital V void, but. That's what fascinates me with Void Energy. It's, it's very different from the two other elements. Uh, it's the goth. It's the goth of the three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, all, all the um, elements have a certain... I'm going to say the word element again. Um, <laughs> all the elements <laughs> have an aspect of like a danger to them if you don't use them right. Uh, like... The whole, yeah, you know, classic phrase, if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt sort of thing. True enough. Arc, there was, I'm trying to find the quotes, but I remember the, um, that great mission where you get the, oh, what's the shock lock called? Storm trance, that mission. Yep. And she's, she's talking about channeling it right to not, you know, whatever. Oh, there's yeah, there's element not, of, it's, yeah. There's an element contr- of danger about it if you can't control it. And I think yeah. it's the same, you know, fire will burn you, the arc will, it's dangerous if you can't control it well, or you can't channel it. And void is the same, I think. There's this element of danger, but it's a bit more of like a mysterious thing. Yeah. Because I think we don't have a void for us, like in real life, we don't interact with it. Like we know electricity, you know, fire. Yeah. But void's a bit more mysterious. See, like, so what happens if you can't control it? Like, <laughs> so that's why I think it's a bit more ominous. But I wouldn't say it's any darker or more dangerous than the other elements. It's just a bit more mysterious, which then, in a in a human perspective, equals more dangerous and dark. More cool looking. Yeah. Cool looking. <laughs> so that quote uh, is by Tevis Larson. Uh, the flavor text quote. You have a little refresher here, sure. Oh yeah, Google. just just to refresh, Tevis Larson uh, <laughs> is a good friend of Cade Six, and he's the Night Stalker hunter we actually find in the Light Garden and receive our bow or subclass from. 
which he said was a good friend. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's too soon. <laughs> pour, pour one out for Tevis. Yeah. Put on the well, I mean, we, stripe. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be Night Stalkers if he wasn't, he wasn't dead, so. True. <laughs> oh, that's on it. Yeah. Well, it's true. <laughs> I mean, what if we found him and he was alive? He'd be like, okay, thanks. I'm off to shoot things now. <laughs> right, okay, I'll just fine. go back to gunslinging. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, I mean, if he wasn't dead. True enough. Uh, I guess, man. Well, it's only because we found him dead. Cade was kind of like, well, I, I guess. Yeah, you better grab, you better grab it before it's gone. Yeah. It's like hunters and their cloaks, right? Oh, oh, my best friend just died. I'll wear his cloak. It's more pretty, fabulous. Oh, what I did you call it? I wish there was Tevis Larson's cloak would be such an amazing item in this game. That should have been the Blade Dancer's cloak. Oh, not Blade Dancer, the Night Stalker's cloak. Stalker's cloak. I would never not wear that. That may be the only cloak that would get me out of my dead orbit cloak. Like even yeah. if it didn't look cool, just from a lore perspective, it'd be really cool. That fact that we've taken the Fallen Hunters cloak. Yeah. Well, that's why I wear Graviton Forfeit. I mean, it's not the only reason, but to me, it's like paying an homage to to Tevis and carrying on, like the the lofty responsibility of of being a good Night Stalker. So I think that the helmet. Wearing Graviton Forfeit is like a display of saying, "I'm at the, I'm at the top. I'm honoring this guy who came before me, and I'm I'm devoted to, to the life of being a Night Stalker." Yeah, it would, the, to, to me, seeing someone with Graviton on is just like, "I am a Night Stalker, and I am proud." <laughs> Shade step. Well, well, to me as a warlock, yeah, I was gonna say I always see Mr. Fruits uh, a little short. Shade step. Yep. Shade steps. I mean, to me, a night stalker is a pain in the. Uh, so oh, I mean. even in his in his most recent video, he was talking about that. He has. He said that he made an entire video talking about why he switched over to hunter for a lot of his videos. Uh, but a big part of it is because of shade step. Yeah. Uh, so as a note here, that is unclear if the flavor text is in reference to the wilds or the void itself. Tevis himself was highly familiar with the void. Uh, so I have some quotes here from Tevis. One is, I've had a dozen hunters ask me why it's so hard to summon the Duskbow. I've asked them what they thought of the Void, and their eyes tell me everything. You can't be afraid. That's the secret. No fear. So I think when people read the flavor text, they assume it's being out in the wilds. Uh, but there is the possibility that you stay out there, meaning you stay connected to the Void too long, and you're not going to come back the same. Uh, and then there's also the possibility that the quote references Tevis's decision to abandon his faith in the Traveler, which is sort of a an interesting thing. This had never we'd never seen this in the Grimoire prior to Tevis's introduction. Uh, the quote there is: "I gave up the Traveler long ago, but when I heard the Awoken had found a way into the Garden, I couldn't resist." Tevis log entry twenty twenty three nine. So again, that not coming back the same way, being out there, touching the void for too long, potentially, again, pure speculation, could break your faith in the light, or at least break your faith in the traveler. So mm. when you come That's back... That's a dead orbit thing, right? I gave up on the traveler a long time ago. I gave up on, it, on uh, sort of reviving it. Yes, that's a very dead orbit philosophy. Which is why I wear Cloak of Oblivion and Graviton <laughs> Forfeit, and I just pretend to be Tevis. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the traveler at all drop 
Well, like, I'm, I'm a Night Stalker. I'm Dead Orbit. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in a way, in a way, yes. In a way, where I'm obsessed with solving uh, Alpha Lupi and the dreams of Alpha Lupi and their relationship to the Traveler. I like the Traveler as a source of study, but. When I'm standing in the tower and I look up and see the traveler, I'm not thinking, "Wow, that's the thing that I'm fighting for." Like there is, there's my my god hanging in the sky, and I want to make it proud as its weird undead child. Like I have no connection there. Uh, so, in that in that regard, no, not not really. And by extension, the speaker. Eh. Hey, hey, hey! Now lay off the speaker. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of the speaker, Ken. I am. I am a big fan. Who do you love more, kicks? Do you love uh, Destiny Ghost Stories or do you love the speaker? Who you you can't ask of? me that question. Yeah, that, that's oh. like asking who, which one of your child do you love the most. <laughs> and, and they're present, so you can't actually answer that question. So I oh. love them both very much. I'm going to change your name in the Slack chat to a number one speaker fan. <laughs> I actually was that Yeah, you were that for a while. Yeah, yeah. Done that. That's already been done. Uh. <laughs> and I, 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 to to add to that, I actually, when I log in, I sort of turn around and look at the traveler and like, yeah, this one for you, babe. <laughs> I don't. <Yeah. laughs> I say stare, stare back, stare back into my void of a face. <laughs> stare long into the abyss that is my graviton forfeit. Does the abyss uh, stare back? I certainly do. <laughs> I, I look out the tower and go, oh, look, the mountains are so pretty today. Oh, look how the sunlight's on the Traveler. <laughs> Screenshots. That's that's my thought process right there. You, well, I'm down with that. Uh, and then the last note here is, uh, as Dropslash has, Drop has mentioned many times, he's a huge, huge fan of both Graviton and Tevis Larson and wears the helmet exclusively on his Night Stalker as a tribute to the memory of Tevis. Thanks. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Never stop talking about it. Uh, that's Graviton Forfeit. Uh, it makes the void leak out of your face. It looks awesome. It does awesome things. Wear it. I cannot for the life my... Every week, well, I'll be standing around the tower, and my brother will say to me, what exotic do you use on Night Stalker? And I'm like, are you serious? You always look at me. Uh, it's like, I don't know which one. He does not like Graviton Forfeit, which is why uh, he's not really a hunter, He's a titan, and arguably not even really my brother. But uh, <laughs> it boggles the mind that any Night Stalker would not want to wear a Graviton forfeit. So I don't. Just you wait. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, see. I don't, but I have. I used to wear it for PvP, but I stopped wearing it when I was decided to actually try and take it somewhat seriously and do a stat build. And my... Uh, Night Stalker has a strength discipline build. Ah. So Graviton went because it was just too int for me. (laughs) Uh, I can't, for me, Shade Step has become like such a natural reaction to my combat style. I can't, it's so hard for me to play without Shade Step. Yeah, well, I have the Shade Step perk on, so I can't can't leave Shade Step behind. I can kind of leave Keen Scout behind, but... Oh, I can't leave Keen Scout behind. I can't. Movement speed is too important. As a non-hunter, I always forget to use Shade Step. So I never use the helmet because it's a waste of exotic for me. I always forget that it's there. (laughs) My my brother says, he's like, I'm I'm always a Titan, so I never default to Shade Step. 
Yeah, exactly. Though worth noting, Shade Step does have blink-like properties, so it's good for wedging yourself into places you're not supposed to get to. Uh, <laughs> that's how I broke the Chamber of Night invisible walls with this, with uh, Shade Step. Yeah, I, I get in trouble when I switch subclass, especially when I switch subclass because I'm still my hunter, but when I switch characters as well and I'm playing with people and I get the, why are you teabag? Oh, you're trying to Shade Step. <laughs> Like, I know, I'm sorry, it's, a, it's an instant reaction, and I'm just sitting there, like, crouching around, like, ah, oh, it's right, Shade Step's not on. I do kind of wish, though, Graviton returned the double Shade Step perk. If you had the Shade Step node active and were wearing Graviton, it would give you double Shade Step back. No, 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 no. I miss it so much. <laughs> the voice of the non-hunter. No, 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 yeah. no, please, no. Shade Step, Shade Step, Shade Step. So uh, good, and it looks so cool. All right, last helmet. Uh, and if you're thinking, no, you just covered the last helmet. Think uh, again. We, we didn't. Think again. Uh, this helmet, unlike... I'm just, man, I can't. I'm sorry. Unlike Warlocks, who never got anything related to the helmets they were promised, <laughs> we did actually get this helmet uh, in a form in the game. So we'll talk about that right now. So this is the Exotac Angel Hunter, which is one of the coolest names for a helmet yeah. that we never got. Uh, the flavor text reads, built from a Golden Age combat pilot sensorium, it orients the brain during sharp maneuvers. Uh, the perk would have been Angel Hunter. S significantly increases your weapon's accuracy for a short time after jumping. The perks were Light the Blade and Inverse Shadow. The perk symbol was the Hunter symbol, and it was originally revealed in the big House of Wolves exotic leak. Uh, but this helmet would see considerable modifications and eventually come to us as Celestial Nighthawk. Uh, so, talk about the first part here, Exotac. So, a tack helmet is just short for tactical helmet. It's a pretty common military phrase. Uh, so this could literally break down to... Exo tactical, so a tactical helmet for exos. Uh, whether it's linked specifically to their abilities, we don't really know, but both from the Golden Age stuff, so we know the exos were around then. Uh, as noted, Exotac is also a company from Georgia that makes high end urban and outdoor gear, and they specialize in fire starters, uh, which is a great solar reference, especially back to the Celestial Nighthawk. Uh, but it wasn't this helmet at the time was not specific to gunslingers like the Nighthawk is. Uh, the perk Angel Hunter significantly increases your weapon's accuracy for a short time after jumping. This was adapted into the hidden perk that is currently found on Nighthawk. Uh, it's worth noting that perk on Nighthawk is not the same perk as Icarus. Uh, the Nighthawk's hidden accuracy perk is very specific to the Nighthawk itself. Uh, and it has a very direct effect on accuracy, the accuracy, the hidden accuracy stat, uh, not any kind of uh, tracking or aim assist or anything like that. Uh, we know this because this, uh, when it was first revealed, the model was of the uh, Nighthawk. Uh, it was just called something else. So we never got the Exotac Angel Hunter, uh, but we did get Celestial Nighthawk. I thought I had a note here, but maybe I didn't. Oh, I did. Uh, Angel Hunter. <clears throat> uh, 
Likely a reference to this helmet being salvaged from a combat pilot sensorium, although I could not find any references to a real-world convention of naming for pilots being called angel hunters, though it does kind of make sense. Uh, although it's worth noting, there is a ship in EVE Online called the Angel Hunters and a group of pilots called the Angel Hunters, but it's unclear if they got that name before or after this item was revealed in Destiny. So, And then lastly, uh, here's a fun bit of urban slang for you, uh, which is funny coming from the American in the group talking to the Swede, and the Australian person. Uh, <laughs> Angel Hunter, a person who seeks, mingles, and frolics with young, attractive, uh, opposite-gender, very kind, opposite-gender individuals as a way to relax and clear his or her head rather than seeking out just pleasure. Uh, this is performed without the use of any kind of force, violence, attitude, threats, intimidation. It's literally someone who hangs out with young, attractive people as like a mental soothing uh, exercise, not for any other reason than that. They're called. Do angel. they have to be? Do they have to be attractive? Well, that's what Is makes that them. Important? That's what makes um, them angels. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad I don't have that in Sweden. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. That's a that that makes this helmet weird. Uh, <laughs> and we don't have it. Uh, thank goodness. <laughs> Let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> It comes with a white panel van. Oh, man. <laughs> so we, should we move on to the response of those young people? <clears throat> I, don't know. I mean... Oh, that, oh, that yeah, was a good go. one. <laughs> Perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You, you can take it then. I have to correct some things on this. Are we doing gloves? We're doing gloves. Like, don't touch me. Uh, and the flavor text says amputated from a creature that stumbled out of a vex gate a vestigial defensive reflex still remains speaking of defensive reflex that's the name of the perk on it Um, which is taking damage from a melee attack makes you briefly invisible Uh, it's the same in year 2 uh, and year one, the perks are Special Weapon Reloader and Inverse Shadow. And in year two, it will always roll Strength and Switchblade, which makes sense from the melee perspective. Indeed. And the perk symbol is Shadowjack. And Shadowjack, worth noting, is the Blade Dancer ability to turn invisible, which is stealth tech that... Uh, Cade claims he stole from Rasputin, although Tevis uh, says that is complete and utter folly. So, who to believe? Uh, I mean, believe probably Tevis. not Cade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are Oh, here we go. Hexray's got a, a weird note on. Don't touch me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. that's actually a... Uh, there's a, a a name for that kind of affliction when you have a fear of people touching you, uh, and it's called. Let's see if I can say this. Halfophobia, halfophobia, yeah, halfophobia, um, or the fear of touch is an uncommon but often devastating phobia. If you suffer from halfophobia, you fear being touched by anyone. Although some people are only afraid of being touched by those of the opposite gender, uh, it can be. 
extremely difficult for strangers and people close to you to understand. Um, and sadly, the person offering the touch may feel rejected when you shy away. So, and that that's it, that's pretty tough. much. But yeah, it's yeah. a real thing, though. I mean, I know. I mean, it's like it's almost like, uh, oh, who's the guy that that Howie Mandel? You know, he's got the he's he's more of the the germaphobe yep. thing, but it's something very similar. You know, it, it's like. No, no real contact with people. Otherwise, you get kind of freaked out. So, anyone who is afflicted by that, man, it's rough. And I'm sorry for you. It, it sounds tough. And if you ever see me, you're gonna totally freak out because I will give you a hug. And then you'll get absorbed into his beard. <laughs> <laughs> the beard logic. And the <laughs> That's right. Uh, amazing. Becomes more powerful with every hug. <laughs> Until there's nothing left but your beard. <laughs> I really hope they add beards to the character models in Destiny 2. Uh, if they do and they're not appropriate as far as giving us, like, epic beards, I'll be very disappointed. But you're going to, like, what, you're going to, like, put on Nighthawk and, like, your beard's going to be sticking out of the bottom of it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not? Just Nighthawk and a giant mustache sticking out. <laughs> That's right, big handlebars sticking like through through the outside. And I just want to see how you know. I want to see these like all electrical, wiry kind of beards they throw on Exos. That would be sweet. And then when you aim down sights with Nighthawk, the beard and the mustache light up with the eyes. Yeah. And anybody that follows follows me on Twitter knows what I think about Zavala. He's definitely a ginger. He's got red hair and a red beard. Wouldn't it be so funny if we came back in Destiny 2, like, welcome back to the tower, it's whatever, year four, and you walk in, and Zavala's got a huge beard. <laughs> One of the quests, you have to go get a sword from some new guy, and so, so Zavala can shave. He's like, I've been working on this while you've been gone, Guardian, what do you think? <laughs> Icor just sits there and makes fun of him until he finally shut, cuts it off. And Cade's nowhere to be found. <laughs> And then we find Cade out in the wilds, and it turns out he's got like a lock of Zavala's beard. To like for like good luck, it's his artifact. Right. <laughs> now I'm just picturing all the different beard hair you could have as artifacts. <laughs> Strand of Zavala's beard. <laughs> Zavala's beard clipping. It's like hanging from his belt along with the coyote's foot. Cade's mustache grease. Shaq's fur collar isn't fur. <laughs> it's all made of beard. Shaq's beard is yep. so big, it it, <laughs> it melts into his fur collar and then out onto his shoulder pads is one whole thing. <laughs> That's what happens when you wear a helmet. It squirts out the sides <laughs> onto your shoulders. And then when Shaq's shoulder charges you, instead of going flying backwards, you immediately get sucked into his beard. You're just <laughs> gone from the match for the rest of the time. He just deletes your Void character beard. entirely. <laughs> he absorbs your strength that way. Uh, anyway. <laughs> enough beards. Enough beards. And Gavel's not here. He's going to be so mad. I know. Uh, so this was a thing. And this this is a thing that stumbled out of a Vex gate. And I guess the implication here is that we cut something off of it. But maybe somebody else did when we found it. I don't know. Uh, as Gabble notes, once again, we are the monsters. 
Although this does explain some of the weird messages that Ikora mentions over the PA system in the tower. Uh, and a creature that stumbled out of a Vex gate. Uh, I love your note here. Kex, I laugh every time that I see it. Uh, <laughs> Go home creature, you're drunk. <laughs> it just that stumble part makes me like see it sort of like drunkenly like, where, where, where am I? <laughs> And we like, <laughs> and it's the guardians. Surprise! Cuts his arm off. <laughs> I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> yeah, and immediately puts it on. But I love that it doesn't even say. It's horrible. Like it was a creature we fought or an enemy. <laughs> it's like this is a random creature from anywhere possible in time and space, and we're like, this would make great armor. This would be, yeah. I need to wear this. It stumbled out, confused and probably terrified, and we just like, this. This is my shoulders. Right here. <laughs> well, we don't know what part of the creature that horn thing is that we actually have on the shoulder. <clears throat> well, Re I do have a theory on that, but we'll get to that later. Right. I mean, well, re regardless, though, it doesn't seem like it was a hostile creature. <laughs> That's what I'm no, saying. No, it does not. It does well, not imply that it's hostile. It implies the poor thing was confused. <laughs> like, He's having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> And then you go back to the tower and are questioned about it. You're like, it wasn't me. It was the one-armed monster. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it all back around. <laughs> it seems to work out that way Amazing. sometimes, and it's pretty awesome. Blade dancers, man. <clears throat> uh, I did not. So some of these notes I did not write. This is fun. Uh, this is fun reading notes that I didn't write. Uh, <clears throat> Similarly designed for the explicit purpose, purpose of soloing the stills in Crota's End. And then, then we have a note here that we went back and forth on, and I'm going to ask you to explain yourself here, Kex. Yeah, so I have a little bit of... I was trying to get my crux of Crota, so I didn't want to like go online and look up all the guides for how to solo Crota. So I came up with a little like method of my own, and I use... Um, I used Don't Touch Me in the last part when you're fighting Crota um, on, on hard mode because I combined that with um, being able to, to sort of, what do you call it, the cloaking part where you sit down and you become invisible. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of use this, yeah, so I use that, uh, this, this exotic essay sort of escape thing. So when I'm, if, when I'm, and I, when I'm hit, uh, when I've hit Crota and I'm running back to like the lower right part to hide, there's, there's all these thralls coming out, right? So I often get hit by them. So if oh. I do, I go invisible. I can jump up on one of the uh, openings. I can switch to Hungering Blade, I think it is, when you yep. get your health back. Jump down, still invisible, hit him, get my health back, and I switch back. So that's why I use it. Interesting. I thought you wrote this in reference to being hit by Crota. No, no, that, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> I like, know that. You run up on the platform, and he hits you, and you turn invisible, and he's just standing there confused, because <laughs> nope, it's Crota. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Where'd he go? There's <laughs> like a sword dancing around him in a circle, and he can't figure yeah. it out. <laughs> so, no, that, that's why I use it. All right, that makes more sense. Uh, the right Guardian's right shoulder piece has the shape that resembles a rhinoceros beetle's. It's interesting because Kefri Sting has a shoulder piece that also resembles some rhino beetles. Uh, both gloves provide invisibility effects. Yeah, so if you look at it in um, like the armory, it, uh, and you look at 
images of uh, rhinoceros beetles. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of research on Capri Sting. This is why I looked at a lot of rhino beetles. <laughs> uh, it's very similar. I mean, the horns that you have going up, a little horn going down, you can almost see like an eye thingy in hmm. the back of the uh, shoulder part. So it looks like another bug that stumbled out of that vex kit. And if you look at some parts of the, the glove, I mean, the, um, the design is shared with, with a lot of uh, other gloves, but uh, it has had some resemblance to the Capri Sting as well. Hmm. Yeah, I made a note. It's funny, you guys had a note. I changed this note because this note was talking about a different set of gloves that uh, I think you're talking about the Dead Orbit gloves. Yeah, Heliopause. Heliopause grasps. Uh, but if you look up the Gravebreaker 2.2 or the Raku Vindicator, it's the exact same model. It's got the hooks on the lower part of the arm. It's got the little talons on the elbows. It's got the the V-shaped armor plates on the the upper shoulder. Uh, oh, those cool. are the same model that Aldrin Sov, the Queen's brother, wears. Yeah. So these are just blue versions of those with some bug parts strapped on. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, Guardians. Way to yeah. way to be tolerant of alternate life forms. It made me think well, now. Cool. What if I mean, it's hmm? just a giant rhino beetle that came out of the gate? Like it's not a creature with like intellegence or anything, or intellect, how as do, it were. How do you know but, it doesn't have? No, well, intellect. it's just it's just of of bug level intelligence crawling out of the gate. <laughs> just picture picture it now. It's quite funny. Like, yeah, saying- a bug. Kill it. <laughs> Kill it. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm a parts. <laughs> like that's maybe that's how it happened. It's a bug. Kill it. Kill it. Kill it. And the last guy in the back is like, wear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, picture well, the... it's interesting. I mean, both things are, are bug related, and both things um, provide invisibility, but in in two different ways. But all right. Well, speaking of that, let's move on to Kepri Sting. This is the reason that why we did uh, gauntlets on this episode was because you were going to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's my, um, like I said, I'm not a main hunter, so when I play hunter, I use, I want to play it a little bit differently from my warlock, and uh, uh, I love the blade dancer sort of invisibility effects, but and the I play mostly PVE, and it's not the best um, subclass for that. So I actually combine Capri Sting with Night Stalker or Gunslinger. So Capri Sting has the uh, flavor text, the wound is not deep, but you know it exists, and that is enough. And the uh, exotic perk for year one was Touch of Venom, gain invisibility after crouching in a place for a short time, melee attacking an enemy from behind while invisible delivers four times the damage. And the perks were primary weapon loader and invigoration. And in year two, they the exotic perk stayed touch of venom and it's still uh, you gain invisibility after crouching in place for a short time melee attacking an enemy from behind while invisible delivers four time damage but they added melee attacks apply a lingering damage effect Uh, and you have an out here uh, drop yeah that was actually a hidden perk so that the sort of poisonous dot effect happened in year one but it wasn't listed as a perk on the exotic so in year two they they made it official gotcha well um like the carpet sting will always roll in year two with strength roll and switchblade which makes total sense hmm? yeah 
And the perk symbol is Touch of Venom, which, it, which is a scarab uh, icon. And I couldn't find it. I think it's specific to this um, this armor. Um, so going a little bit into what Kepri is. Kepri is a reference to an Egyptian solar deity of the same name, Kepri. I hope I'm saying that right. I will probably get corrected, as you have been many times. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ancient Egyptian gods are going to come down and correct us. <laughs> <laughs> so Kepri was connected with the scarab beetle, because the scarab rolled balls of dung across the ground, and an act that the Egyptians saw as a symbol of the forces that moved the sun across the sky, linking Kepri to both the sun and the creation of the world. So uh, they draw uh, ancient Egyptians draw a parallel between the dung beetle, the scarabus saucer, sekir, I don't know, <laughs> you're going to have to correct me on that one too, uh, and its handling of a ball of dung, and how the sun would move over the sky during the day. Now, Kepri, who was depicted either as a scarab or a person with a scarab head, would push the sun over the sky and into the underworld at night, uh, only reappearing in the morning. Uh, the Egyptians saw the dung beetle larvae as magically appearing from the ball of dung, but it in fact it's just the larva eating its way out. So the Egyptians connected his name, uh, uh, or uh, the Egyptians connected his name with the Egyptian language verb keper, 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 something, meaning <laughs> to come into being, to change, to occur, to happen, to exist, to bring about, to create, etc. So, I mean, that fits pretty nicely with sort of coming out of... Com if you, you go into stealth, that's when the sun goes down, and you come out of stealth, that's when the sun comes up. That's the um, sort of parallel I drew, at least. Um, and just a little side note, there was no cult devoted to Kepri. Um, he was largely subordinate to the greater sun god Ra. Uh, and often Kepri and another solar deity, Atum, were seen as aspects of Ra. So Kepri was the morning sun, Ra was the midday sun, and Adam was the sun in the evening. Um, now, as we talked a little bit about uh, in the earlier parts, the shoulder part uh, on the guardian left side uh, also resembles a uh, another beetle, a, a rhino beetle, which is a subfamily of the scarab beetle family. And that's, to me, a kind of a cool sort of uh, connection between the don't touch me and and this one, as they both feature scarab. And you have the actual scarab on the arm. That's very creepy. <laughs> uh, and, and it actually doesn't resemble the Egyptian scarabs or any uh, um, sort of appreciation of the uh, of Capri at all. It's more of a stag beetle, or a iakoxe in Swedish. And that's uh, a group of um, sort of beetles with large stag-like horns or uh, mouth parts. That looks very creepy. So yeah, it's. I mean, I love this exotic for what it gives me. It gives me a lot of flexibility as a night stalker to to first duck down, go invisible, run out, use uh, smoke to go more invisible, or as a gunslinger, set up a great uh, sort of uh, first golden gun shot. But yeah. it's 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 not pretty. I'm sorry <laughs> if you like that exotic, True. but I mean that that bug is not pretty. No, I, I tried wearing it, and I'm like. There's a bug on my wrist, and I'm just seeing it in the corner of my screen. I see these little mandibles moving, and I'm like, yeah. oh, Does it it's move? so distracting. Yeah, yeah the little mandibles open and close, and yeah, the legs move. And the feet move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so and creepy. So I only got Kepri's thing when I played on 360, 
and so I tried it on. Oh, they don't move on that, it. yeah. Yeah, they don't move on that. So, mm-hmm. and then I took it off and never wore it again. And since moving over to Xbox One, I've never put it on, so I didn't know if that uh, little... You should put it on just to see, because I was like, oh, I've had this for a while. It sounds really cool. I'm going to run it, because I'm playing as a blade dancer. And it was like, no, there's a bug moving on my arm. It's so distracting. I just can't, like, <laughs> it's holding my gun, and, like, because my hand's forward on my gun, and I can just see it, like, these little legs wiggling, and I'm like, ah, no, I, I'm changing back. I can't do this. <laughs> so when you use, when you fan fire the last word, uh, is that bug, like, right in your face? Oh, I haven't yeah. actually tried. I don't use the uh, last word. I don't have I the have last word, it. but I'll try no, it if right. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I made a note here that Touch of Venom is really interesting. Most exotics that we've talked about have one or two signature perks, but Kefri Sting has four. So you gain invisibility while crouching. Your melee attack from behind while invisible does four times the damage. It has primary weapon reloader, which is only found on this particular piece of gear. Because it's blanket for all primaries. Uh, it doesn't choose one. It's any primary you have, which is awesome. Uh, and then melee attacks apply that DOT effect. So this is this is a really this is like a kitchen sink <laughs> exotic here. It's just a lot of perks stacked onto this. Yeah, I mean, I'm read it's. I mean, it's prob- probably primarily for blade dancers, but that that uh, DOT does work for other uh, other subclasses as well. And the invisibility is not limited to blade dancers either. You can no, be no. invisible on gunslinger and invisible yeah. on night stalker with this. And that's why I use it. It's such a fun sort of uh, quirk to add to the other subclasses to run around with. <clears throat> this is what so I, I, hmm? this is just, one of my most favorite notes that you have right here because this ties into some other things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, the um, you mean the sting part? The yeah. Part? Yep. Yeah. So that's my sort of last part before you take over with uh, uh, other comments, but. Uh, when I was researching be- researching beetles, um, I did not find inside the scarab family anyone that had like a stinger or a venom, not even close to it. The closest thing to venom is what if the larvae of a dung beetle bites you, that uh, that wound will become very uh, festered very quickly because of yeah it <laughs> derived <laughs> it from seems, a dung. Seems pretty obvious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that does apply uh, a lingering effect, uh, and I mean if you look at the um, the flavor text for it, it that is enough. Sure, it kind of talks to that, but if you, when you're going to talk about the, the uh, sort of the, the name before that, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, so originally in the database, these were called uh, Aikahika's Hooks. And if that name sounds familiar uh, and ridiculous, uh, it's because there is a cloak in the game, a hunter cloak, called the Venom of Aikahika. Uh, oh, I spelled cloak wrong there. Cloak. Coke. 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 <laughs> uh, and is Pepsi okay? It is. Uh, <laughs> the flavor text reads, The sigil of the snake said to represent the fluid lethality mm-hmm. of a true hunter. Uh, and then, Kex, you have some notes here on, on that as well. Uh, makes more sense with the perk, uh, with the redone model. So... And you have the note here is that uh, the Aikahika has a very potent venom uh, with yeah. many small bites becoming fatal. Yeah, there were some reports about people just getting a, like a grace on the thumb and they would, would die a couple of uh, days later. So, I mean, that makes l- more sense to me if you read 
uh, read it. And also, I mean, if you look at the um, sort of the um, thumbnail for for the one that's Akahika, mm-hmm. it's very close. And then someone like, oh, we need a scarab on this one. You you do <laughs> one in like a couple of hours. So it's yeah, it's it, the relationship here between uh, "Don't Touch Me" and what became. Kefri's sting, although it was once Ikehika's hooks, it's really you can sort of see how these exotics evolve a little bit and, you know, sometimes it's just, hey, let's make it like a family of exotics rather than what it may have used to have been, or maybe maybe they found that DOT on Knife Strikes was too overpowered after all the controversy surrounding Thorn, or like, it's a good example of and like, even the perk name, Touch of Venom like, why does Touch of Venom give you... Like, especially in year one, where the Venom was a hidden perk, right? So Touch of Venom gives you invisibility and melee attack from behind? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. The the poison wasn't even, a, like, an actual publicized perk. So... Yeah. Seems pretty clear that there was some mishmash going on here and that Ikehika's hooks were what this evolved into. Uh, some other notes here. In year one, the DOT effect of Touch of Venom was a hidden effect, and it applied to both Arc Blade and Golden Gun, although just the first shot. Meaning that you could poison somebody with Golden Gun. <laughs> uh, when Golden Gun applies the effect, the duration is mysteriously increased to 18 seconds of DOT poison damage. And more lethally, if you were hit by somebody who is killed with combustion which is the golden gun perk that causes this target to explode, it would also deal the poison to you. (laughs) Uh, So even if you weren't killed by the combustion of your best friend getting annihilated by golden gun, you were suddenly poisoned because of it with no idea why. (laughs) Uh, uh, Kefri Sting can provide blade dancers with near full-time invisibility, it just takes desyncing the perk with the stalker perk. So blade dancers have a perk called stalker, where if you're crouching, you gain invisibility. So all you need to do there is if you have equip uh, encore or hungering blade, not stalker, then equip Kefri's sting. Crouch until Kefri's sting makes you invisible. Once you're invisible, go into your perk node and change encore or hungering blade back to stalker, and that'll desync the two timers. Uh, and then from there, just time your crouches, whether you want your invisibility from Stalker or from Kefri Sting, and you can be pretty much invisible full-time. Wow. Cool. Yeah. I think that was how people, or part of the way people soloed the Warsat section of uh, the Fallen Saber Strike, is that you could run up next to the Warsat with a desynced Kefri Sting and just be invisible the entire time. Uh, and everything would leave you alone. Uh, and then some of these other notes are not mine, but they're yeah, still here. Yeah, yeah I'm um, just researching a little bit more about scarabs. They're popular in fantasy games, and they are often poisonous in other fantasy games as well. So, I mean, contrary to real life, <laughs> scarabs, poor misunderstood scarabs, right? That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what <laughs> ki- kicked that off. They're poisonous. And I'm like, yeah, they're poisonous. They're probably poisonous. Yeah, so poor. Poor guys. Uh, the MOBA Smite has a playable god named Kepri the Dawnbringer. Uh, and uh, let's see, Journey, great <laughs> band, has <laughs> the Golden Scarab holding a red orb, which is Capri often in much of their album art. 
And just a side note, Leia, it's not a, it's not a pretty. It's not yeah. pretty at all. Not an attractive exotic. No. Uh, and I mean, looking a little bit into to to lore, the only uh, connection I could find is Rahul has an idol dialogue. They mentioned finding something that uh, presumably could be Egyptian, right? So it's the quote is found at the foot of the Great Pyramid, seventy-five steps to a side, three thousand five hundred six inches, less than a tenth of a degree from the true north. Is that location significant? Ha! Everything's significant. So I did some research on this quote. Because uh, I thought it was really interesting. The thing that bugs me the most is that Rahul would <laughs> use... Bugs. Would, well, yes. Ha-ha. <laughs> Rim shot. Somebody, somebody do it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> why would Rahul be using feet and inches? That bothers me. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> so this is the Great Pyramid at Giza. Uh, interestingly enough, it is still standing this far into the future. 755 feet to a side is the Great Pyramid of Giza. Uh, the west side is 755.76. The north is 0.41. The east is 0.87. And the south side is 756.08 uh, feet. So, okay, he's describing the sides of the pyramid. Then 36,506 inches, that is the entire perimeter of the Great Pyramid. <laughs> Why that's important, I do not know. Uh, but here's a super cool thing that I found out about the Great Pyramid. So Rahul mentions it's less than a tenth of a degree from true north. Uh, so studies have shown that the alignment of successive pyramids first steadily improved up to the creation of the Great Pyramid and then later deteriorated. This makes sense under the theory that the architects were measuring the alignment using not one, but two stars, Mizar in Ursa Major and Koshab in Ursa Minor. Modern computer charting shows that the two stars rotated around the pole opposite of each other in the Old Kingdom sky. In other words, an imaginary line that joined the two stars passed through the North Pole. When the two stars laid vertically above one another, they would both mark the position of true north for the pyramid builders. However, due to uh, procession, the line joining Mizar and Kochab only drifted into precise alignment within the North Pole in 2467 BC, then they started to move away from each other. The orientation of successive pyramids tracks that drift. Uh, explain the rise and fall of the north-south alignment precision for the pyramids uh, at Giza, and why the Great Pyramid is the most accurate. It's possible to use astronomical records to date the pyramids to the nearest five years. For example, the construction of the Great Pyramid at Giza began between 2485 and 2475 BC, uh, which is perfect for when Mizar and Kochab were closest in, closestly aligned to the North Pole. Uh, so in cool. 2467 so it actually is less than a degree from true north because of these stars and the other pyramids aren't that close uh, because these stars slowly drifted further apart from one another is the location significant I mean it was in 2467 BC I don't know if it is now it's not like we can fly our jump ship out to the great pyramid <laughs> we don't know what he found either true I mean, maybe he found Kefri's sting. No, could be. Maybe it's it's just Osiris that, out there. They will put a vex gate there, though. <laughs> <Possibly>. <laughs> There's a vex gate. <laughs> yeah. 
so that's an interesting bit. Again, there's so much Egyptian mythology and mm-hmm. like Egyptian stuff strewn all through uh, the Destiny lore. Yeah, and if you go into my last sort of note about this, the only other scarab reference in Destiny is the scarab emblem, which is from I think it's from Going Flawless. I haven't done it, but uh, and I mean that that ties back to Osiris and his uh, sort of ties into the Egyptian. Uh, mythology yeah. and and the Vex connections and uh, so forth and so on. Well, I have a note here about Atum. Uh, so, we mentioned earlier that uh, Kepri was a subordinate to Ra, so Kepri and Atum were both subordinates to Ra. Uh, Atum was one of the nine members of the Eonid, the pantheon, a pantheon of Egyptian gods, along with Shu and Tefnut, their children Geb and Newt, and then Geb and Newt's children, Isis, Set, Nephethes, and Osiris. Uh, so that's not necessarily led to Kefri, but if you read this as a literal translation, Osiris was one of the nine. So there you go. Ooh, uh, there's a, yeah, I mean, there's a, there is a quote. He stood before the nine on the icy plains of Europa, but the time wasn't right. Yeah. So he stood before the other eight. That's cool. So. So there's there's a, an interesting bit like of all the things, boom, now we're tying Osiris into the nine. Ridiculous. The guy's everywhere. <laughs> uh what do we have? We have three left here? Yeah, three left. Okay, we can do this. Yep. <laughs> okay, year two only. Sealed. Let's not do these let's do the actual ones first. Let's do young Ahamkar's spine. Young Ahamkar's spine. Uh Give me your arm, O bear mine, and let me help you fill the world with teeth. Uh, this is probably my second most favorite exotic in the game. Uh, year one, the perk was called Improved Trip Mine, and Trip Mine grenades lasted longer when placed. Uh, it rolled with Special Weapon Reloader and Ashes to Assets, which gives you super energy from grenade kills. Makes total sense. But this thing really came into its own in year two, where the perk name was changed to Field Trip, uh, increase trip mine grenade duration and gain an additional trip mine charge. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> year two will always roll with discipline and fastball. So grenades last longer when placed. It extends the timer from 10 seconds to 30 seconds. Uh, and in year two, that perk remains uh, and then gives you the trip mine charges. It's easy to forget that young Ahamkar spine didn't always have this perk. As sort of like a signature, but it wasn't until year two that it did. Uh, this was not a popular exotic in year one, uh, but in year two it has become sort of, well, it was a brief shining period of absolute supremacy until complete unnecessary nerfs to gunslingers. Uh, well, the, per- <laughs> the, perk, the perk symbol is trip mine. It's like I'm. I'm glad that we have another perspective on this show because we'd all be like, "Yeah, screw those nerds. <laughs> yeah. Give me triple trip mines." <laughs> oh, we'll talk about mayhem in a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is one of the three Ahamkara-related exotics. We already talked about one. That was the bones of Ao. Uh, we'll talk about the other one after this. But this is probably the most recognizable for hunters. Uh, not large enough to be a helmet, like the dire skull of Ahamkar that the warlocks wear. The skull here is the shoulder pad, and the spine itself runs down the forearm. And on current-gen consoles, it, it wiggles and waggles. Uh, but on 360, it did not. Uh, yeah, the spines to the forearm actually move. 
Uh, in year one, with enough discipline, uh, young Ahamkara spine would allow you to have two trip mines on the field at once. Uh, and for what it's worth, that was kind of exotic. You could throw a trip mine, and then before it exploded, you could throw a second one. It seemed cool, situationally useful, not overwhelmingly useful. Uh, because that means somebody didn't walk through your first one. <laughs> uh, trip mines were not a popular grenade in year one due to their unique applications, although the power was pretty unquestioned. Trip mine placement management became one of the more tactical aspects of trip mine gunslingers. We all became geometry experts. Uh, <laughs> if for no other reason that, uh, even though gunslingers can't trip their own mines, we can be killed by them. Uh, I don't think there is a trip mine gunslinger alive who has not blown themselves up at least once with a trip mine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so until until year two, until patch 2.0.0, young Amkara spine was com pretty much completely overshadowed by the Acreophage symbiote, which was the go-to for gunslingers. Because that, like we discussed, that raw fourth golden gunshot was just the icing on the cake for an already great super... Although, after 2.0.0, Young Ahamkara's spine gained a new lease on life with its double trip mine perk, uh, a design trend that became exotic, uh, became popular for exotic gloves, uh, especially Ahamkara. No, not especially Ahamkara-related, but we had nothing manacles, we had sunbreakers, uh, now we have these. Uh, trip mines, let's see. Max Discipline Gunslingers could now have three trip mines active on the field, because uh, you could throw two, and then your cooldown would allow you to get the third one out, just as your first one's about to go off. But if you're using perks that restored your uh, grenade energy, you'd have a little bit more leeway. Again, it's so situationally useful to have three undeta undetonated trip mines in the field at the same time, uh, unless you're creating a very elaborate trap. <laughs> uh but where this really started to come into play was people very much realizing that st you can stick people with trip mines, and it's a one-hit KO, and you got two of them. So trip mines were unique where if you missed your stick, you still had an active grenade on the field, and if you hit your stick, whoever you hit was gone. Although, like I said, I'm sure every trip mine gunslinger has experienced sticking somebody, then they charge at you, and the grenade takes you both out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's often intentional. I want to add that as a non-hunter. The introduction in year two of Mayhem Crucible modes made young Ahamkar's spine gunslingers a ridiculously insane force on the battlefield. This is one of the most fun times I ever had playing uh, the Crucible. Max Discipline would allow a gunslinger to have eight active trip mines on the field at once. And you could basically create a perpetual web of death with explosives. <laughs> because even as your first one was going off, you'd already have your ninth, and then your tenth, and then your eleventh. You you could live just throwing grenades. And I often did just fill up entire areas with trip mine grenades and hope, you know, whatever. Somebody's going to wander through and set off this amazing chain reaction of detonations. Was that you coming back around? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but that build was incredible uh, and so much fun. But sadly, Bungie sought to put an end to our fun like they put an end to our, our Golden Gun fun. They put an end to our Trip Mine fun. 
In patch 2.3, trip mines and throwing knives got a pretty hefty and highly questionable nerf. <clears throat> Combined with the adjustments to the Aquiophage symbiote, this has left gunslingers in a very strange place for exotic armor. Uh, Nighthawk is super awesome, but super situationally useful. Uh, trip mines have seen their... They don't stick anymore, although they still shoot at a giant red beam of light, which is not good for a trap, really. You can see that from space. Uh, <laughs> and Acleophage has a, an, an actual negative trade-off. So it's, it's rough goings for gunslingers these days. But trip mines are still awesome. Uh, it's weird when you try and stick now. They like spin around in a circle and still detonate, but the conic explosion may not be facing the person you threw it at so it's not a guaranteed one hit KO plus you can run and slide or blink or shade step through trip mines and not take full damage so it, it really did a number on on poor gunslingers maybe very I was a gunslinger for a really 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 long time uh, and I lo- I was a I was a trip mine gunslinger this was my go to young Ahamkara spine like I'm just gonna make make a web of death everywhere that I go, but it's, it's been hurt hurt these days. It's still fun in Mayhem. You don't get as many sticks, but it doesn't matter. You pick a map, especially maps like the Cauldron with that big interior room. Just go nuts. Put a grenade everywhere. It's it's so awesome. Uh, every door gets a grenade. Every portal gets a grenade. Every every flat surface gets a grenade. It's the Opro Destiny. You yeah, get a grenade exactly. and you... <laughs> Well, it does. I mean, it, it rivals it rivals even uh, radiance in in mayhem. Wow! Uh, because yeah, you mayhem. don't need to be in radiance to use it. Although radiance in in you don't, yeah you don't even need radiance in mayhem. You can just go bananas with sunbreakers. Speaking <clears throat> uh, of radiance, actually, just yeah. just as a quick note, yesterday that what was that perk you were talking about, where it gets everyone else around you gets grenades recharge. Oh, uh. Song of Flame. Yeah, so I didn't know about that, and neither did my boyfriend. And when we were playing yesterday, he was like, "Oh, oh, oh, Song of Flame!" So because I explained about it and was like <laughs> talking about it, and he's like, "Oh, Song of Flame! Drop told us about this." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, grenades time!" <laughs> like, we're so excited. Like, yes. Yeah, you gotta you like, gotta warn your teammates about that. <laughs> yeah, so we were like sitting there, like, "Thank you, Drop Slash!" In the middle of our patrol. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, totally overlooked. Song of Flame is super fun. Yeah, but just it doesn't really tell you what to do. No, it just yeah, it just says Song of Flame in the corner. What's that? Okay, it's kind of not obvious. A a big flashing neon sign. Throw grenades now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if if it just said like increased grenade reload or increased grenade charge or something on your screen, you would know what it meant. But Song of Flame does not tell you what it means. Yeah, like grenade energy recharging or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so just just as an aside, like. You told us about that. We were so happy yesterday. We were playing like Song of Flame. Thank you, Drop Slash. <laughs> patrolling. Nice. I love it. Yep. I love Sunsinger Warlock. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we have regular young Ahamkara's grass. I mean, this plays to. We talked about this with Bones of Ao, where it's not quite sure who created these. Uh, the effects they have are all pretty unique to the the Ahamkara. The visuals are certainly unique to the Ahamkara. This is a baby one, apparently, that we carved up and are now wearing. Yeah, one uh. thing I will say, though, is, like, 
You were referring to bones of Ao when we talked about them, uh, like they look similar to the like the skull of Daya Ahamkara sort of thing. The yep. skull that is on the shoulder of the young Ahamkara's spine does not look like that. No, it it's does not. It's very different. The whole, like, even if you imagine, like, the front of the face cut off, like, it's still a very differently shaped skull. And it's kind of similar to the skulls you see around shacks. Oh, yeah, up in the wall. It's not identical, but it is similar. I could see this sort of skull growing up into the ones like he's got more than I could see this sort of skull growing up into the one on the Dyer Ahamkara's skull or the bones of Ao. Yeah, the Dyer one's such a weird shape. Yeah. Yeah, but it matches the bones. Like, the bones look like a smaller version of the the Dyer one as far as the shape of the skull and the jaw. This is totally different. So, I don't know. I don't know which one's Ahamkara. But this is more dragon-y, though, the uh, the young Ahamkara's one. Yeah. Well, my wish to the Ahamkar is to get the old trip mines back. <laughs> Change the perk. Make the perk two grenades, uh, and they stick again. I'd be okay with that. And give me their old damage back. Uh, so, yeah, wearing our Ahamkara parts. Uh, bold. Bold move. Uh, warlocks get weird things, and then weird things happen to them. And then hunters... Like we get like super utilitarian stuff here. We get like double double grenades and longer lasting grenades, and uh, the ability to jump anywhere we want in the entire universe. Mm. Uh, but apparently, somebody figured out that maybe wearing Ahamkara parts doesn't do good things to the wearer, and that maybe we should try and counteract some of the terrible things that happen. Uh, and that brings us to sealed Ahamkara's grasps. Which the text reads, Plating the Ahamkara bones in silver helps to quiet the auditory hallucinations. Oh, bearer mine. <laughs> yeah, to which I say, <laughs> I'm thinking that's a no. Silver plating does not work. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would think that it would. Uh, that seems like very old world Transylvanian superstitiousy to me. Uh, it seems very specific, too. It's not like, let's coat them in rubber or something, because that's an insulator. It's like, but, let's coat them in silver, because it's, you know, mythologically appropriate. Like, yeah, but that's, that's the Ankara wanting you to, to put on the bones, right? They're telling you, if you dip them in silver, you won't hear this. Well, so when I was doing research here, there's no clear indication that these are bones. So... This is it helps to quiet the auditory hallucinations. The only reference we have to auditory hallucinations, considering exotics, is on uh, claws of Ahamkara, which are a warlock exotic. Also worth noting that young Ahamkara spine only covers the left arm, and sealed Ahamkara's grasps cover both arms. So, if the auditory hallucinations are the whispers. Uh, as provided by Claws of Ahamkara, which gives two melee charges, I might ask. I mean, I might say. Uh, So real quick, perk for sealed Ahamkara's grasps, gain an additional melee charge. Melee damage has a chance to automatically reload your primary weapon. Uh, Always roll strength uh, and switchblade. Makes little sense. Perk symbol, uh, knife hunter, the hunter's knife uh, on top of a ring. So, these perks, an additional melee charge, always rolling strength, and switchblade are the exact perks 
for Claws of Ahamkara. So rather than these being bones that are covered in silver, these could be a bunch of hunters just went and nabbed some Claws of Ahamkara <laughs> and plated those in silver and decided to wear them. Well, it and does this say the... sealing the Ahamkara bones, uh, plating the Ahamkara bones in silver in the description. But they're not bones. But it says bones in the description. In the flavor Yeah, but text. the bones of Ao are not actually bones of Ao. They're just different bones from other exotics. So they're not, I mean, they're technically bones, but they're not of Ao. They're of these other three. Unless Ao had the same bones as these ones. If you cut up multiple Amkaras, they would have similar bones. So I guess that's true. I don't know. These are, to me, these are the hunter version of Claws of Ahamkara. Oh yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> so hey, maybe maybe the maybe the flavor text has nothing to do at all with the actual sealed grasps. Like maybe it's they're two totally unrelated things. Like oh, sealing the bones helps quiet the auditory hallucinations. That has nothing to do with the fact that we plated the the claws in silver. Eh. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they would have a. It seems a very specific flavor text. True. And they are the, like talking about sealing it and trying to stop the hallucinations, or you know, failing at that endeavor. Well, I mean, the Ahamkara wouldn't want you to be quieting the hallucinations, would they? No, but they want you to think that you can. Yes. So it's safe to put them on. It's all very ominous for hunters in any in any direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to control that verbal tick of theirs, then, if they want to hide the fact that they're talking to us. <laughs> uh, these are awesome-looking gloves. Uh, I think one of the, the signature look of these is that the the actual silver claws extend all the way over the fingers into talons. So it gives the hunters like an actual clawed hand. It looks really cool. And the knuckles are all... Claws as well, aren't they? Yes. It just really yeah, it looks cool. like you're wearing like, like clawed, silver finger rings. Uh, before we go into the silver thing here, uh, so the additional melee perk originally did not work with Night Stalker's smoke, but only if you made a direct hit. Like if you stuck someone with your smoke, uh, it would consume both charges, which is disappointing because this was a great uh, exotic for Night Stalkers. Uh, and that was fixed in patch 2.0.1. Since that time, it's become a popular exotic for Night Stalkers. Uh, the auto-reload perk on these these gloves, if it triggers, does not count as traditional reload. It will not cancel perks that are canceled by reloading your weapon. Uh, a good example there is the first curse. So the first curse perk will last until you reload the gun. But if you are currently have the first curse perk active, and then you trigger sealed Ahamkara's grasp reload perk, it will not take away the uh, first curse active. So you can, if you can keep that perk, the nightmare fuel perk rolling, uh, you can have the first curse effect on at all times. Uh, and that same mechanic led to a pretty hefty bug. Uh, that I believe has been patched since with Touch of Malice. So due to mechanics oversight, this exotic had a nasty bug combo impaired with Touch of Malice. If the reload perk 
procced. Well, Touch of Malice was on its last shot. That's the shot that does the 50% extra damage, but drains your life instead. The magazine on Touch of Malice would be reloaded, but then the entire magazine would then have the last bullet perk on Touch of Malice, which means you would have an 11-round mag that all did plus 50% damage and cost you no health at all. Wow. Yeah. So that that potentially, again, because the perk is only a chance to reload the mag of your gun, you can't rely on it. But in something like the Crucible, you could run Touch of Malice down to its last shot, uh, melee kill somebody if you were lucky, get your mag back, and then every the next 11 shots out of that gun were ridiculous. Uh, it's like having a scout sniper rifle. So... It's funny how sometimes these perks just get like little things happen that that nobody thinks of but so there you go fun stuff as for silver uh silver has a long-standing uh mythological applications commonly associated with the moon and the moon has particular significance and destiny so here's some of those things i pulled out i think the most famous one here we all know is the silver bullet for killing werewolves uh but that is also dovetailed into the suppression of other old world monsters like vampires. So it's always like the uh, silver suppresses their ability to heal quickly or it counter effects uh, the, the effect the moon has on a werewolf because silver is the metal of the moon and it's uh, the moon that causes a werewolf to change, etc., etc. I think most people are familiar with that. In English folklore, silver protected against witchcraft, which falls right in line with what these things do. Uh, then I have some notes here about the Silver Age and Golden Age. <clears throat> the Silver Age was the second age of the Olympians. The Golden Age was the first. Uh, it was considered a less noble age. All right. Uh, Apollo wielded a silver bo bow, and the doors of his palace on Mount Olympus were made of silver. His sister Artemis had a bow that was crafted from moonlight and silver wood and fired silver arrows. Uh, there were silver columns that held up the grotto where the river Styx was located. And tons of minor references such as the silver string used to tie Ulysses' leather bag where he kept the winds. So silver is a pretty important metal in a lot of different myths and gods. And uh, In the Latter-day Saint movement, uh, Urim and Thummim also called the interpreters, uh, usually refers to a set of seer stones bound by silver bows and set into spectacles. And then, of course, because we can't not talk about the Egyptians, <laughs> uh, a popular Egyptian myth posited that the skin of the Egyptians was made of gold and their bones were made of silver. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So... <laughs> Osiris has silver bones, <laughs> and that means he can't be affected by the Ahamkara. And he's a reference no. to gold skin with radiance. See? Ah, oh, it all wow. makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go that far. So when we finally meet Osiris, we're just going to rip him apart and put on his bones as armor. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be so surprised, and that's going to be a flawless team, right, too? So they're that, pretty good at killing other guardians. That's like classic guardian thing right there like, yeah. so we met osiris and now we have his bones as armor and i have his cloak like I have his you know a cloak. that look yeah that look when we're like measuring will those fit as armor <laughs> yeah 
think every encounter oh, a guardian has, they're kind of like looking over their enemies, trying to work out what they can use as armor afterwards. Like, hey, that war priest's <laughs> head is about the same size as mine. <laughs> or we'll, we'll find Osiris and be like, finally, we found you, Osiris. And he'll take his helmet off, and it's really just another. He's like, no, I'm just some dude, but I found Osiris. <laughs> and this is. I made some armor out of him. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, I will be surprised, but also not surprised. <laughs> yes, exactly. And envious. <laughs> it's really a giant scarab beetle underneath there. <laughs> he, cr- and he, cr- he stumbles back into a Vex gate. <laughs> you jerks! I took my arm back. <laughs> Someone is a giant race of bugs who are wearing guardian out- like guardian parts as their clothes. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised uh, the uh, the fallen don't do that. They should. That'd be really. What would? Do we wear any fallen parts? Yeah, well, we wear the fallen armor. We take their armor. Yeah, hunters hunters have several. We have heaps of sets of fallen armor, and even all the stuff we get from challenge of elders from Varix is oh, all yeah. fallen. And it's like challenge stuff. and prison stuff, but. Like we don't have, have like wear body parts like, because they're yeah, the same like size as us head. and they've got conveniently sized armor that fits us. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean the Vex are the same size and we we wear Vex heads. Yeah, but is that really the Vex? But we I can't take that off armor off, right? I guess you can't unfall them. <laughs> Isn't the real Vex the the milk? I guess that's true. And we drink it. Just a bunch of naked guardians covered in milk. Yay! <laughs> yeah, I was I wasn't going there, but you did. <laughs> Uh, oh man that would be a hilarious set of armor like the taken one Uh, anyway we got one exotic left it's a pair of gloves Uh, it's a pair of gloves that never made it into the game Uh, so this this can be our commiseration ending here with the warlocks who also never got their gloves Uh, and this is Shinobu's Vow no supplies armor in tatters but the refugees had asked for help, and she had given her word. Tale of the Six Coyotes. The exotic perk would have been New Tricks, uh, improves Skip Grenade, and you gain an additional Skip Grenade charge. Uh, and Shinobu's Vow would have always rolled with Discipline and Fastball, which makes complete sense. So, New Tricks, just a reference to, I think, the phrase, uh, can't teach an old dog new tricks. Although Shinobu, at this point, would have been an old dog. Uh, and a coyote is kind of like a funny coyote little is a old dog, dog family, isn't it? Yep. It's a canine, so that makes sense. Do you have? A, do you have a, aren't there a lot of coyotes in Australia? There are no coyotes in Australia. Yeah, oh, maybe I'm thinking of koala bears. They're very, very different. <laughs> they're very really similar. Oh, I'm thinking of dingoes. Dingoes, yeah, they're like we don't have wolves either. They're equivalent of wolves, pretty much. They're like halfway between wolves and coyotes. Yeah, but they're all coyotes orange are, are pretty and they famous. don't bark. Oh. The coyotes are pretty famous. The coyote spirit in Native American lore. Uh, the six coyotes. So we'll talk about them, and we'll talk a little bit about Shinobu. Uh, there's not a lot that we know. There's just or little bits spread across uh, the grimoire and some flavor texts. So the six coyotes were legendary hunters who first scouted the Cosmodrome and beyond the Cosmodrome wall. Uh, so at the time, most hunters worked solo, and the six coyotes came together to form essentially like a raid or strike team uh, to do their exploration. And they formed a team to help refugees make it back to the last city. So 
this stuff comes from uh, there's the six coyotes cloak and then there's the artifact as well which is the uh, coyotes luck uh, so we don't know when this happened though on the timeline presumably it happened pretty soon after the rise of the guardians because of our familiarity with the Cosmodrome, it probably got discovered pretty early on. But what it doesn't mention uh, is the relationship between the Six Coyotes and Takanomi's Rangers. We talked about Takanomi's Rangers in part of one of our Ignored Lore segments. Uh, the Takanomi Rangers cite their existence as before the appearance of the Guardians, and they help refugees reach the city from the wilds. Uh, it could be that the rangers never made it as far as the Cosmodrome. Uh, they only made it, it sort of into the uh, area media, immediately outlaying around the city. Uh, and it wasn't until Guardians came along that there were sort of people who could survive the trek to the Cosmodrome. This plays a bit to the idea that the tower is not necessarily located near the Cosmodrome, because uh, at the time, regular humans couldn't make it out there. Uh, only guardians. Couldn't get far on one life alone. Not in those Exa days. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. Yep. Uh, you have a note here about Shinobu's name. Ah, uh, yeah. I was just... The word Shinobu, um, which is like the dictionary. It's Japanese. It's the dictionary form yeah. of Shinobi, which is just another name for ninja. Which kind of, I guess, ninja sort of plays into hunters, like that sort of, you're like a bit of a ranger, you explore your stealthies, that sort of thing. Uh, as a given name in Japanese, it can mean belief or endurance and perseverance. And as a verb, it can mean to recall something or also stealth and endurance, which also plays into the, like, hunters out in the wild. You'd need stealth and endurance. <laughs> so, Very true. Uh, that's the the name, so that kind of makes sense as far as the n name meaning for Shinobu. You you throw smoke on the ground and disappear. That's so much a ninja thing to do. So, yeah, it's a good reference. It's smoke bomb. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I was, think, I was thinking more of a uh, blade dancers, but you're right. No, you're like ninja smoke bomb, psh, invisible. Mm. Well, I'll tell the blade answer. So this perk improves skip grenade and gives you an additional skip grenade, uh, and that's a blade dancer grenade. Yeah. Right. I'm not. It's flux, arc bolt, and skip on blade dancers. I think so. Because gunslinger is the one that does a very similar thing. Do 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 do. Yep, skip grenade. Okay. Yep. What's the what's the gunslinger one called? I never use it. Oh, Swarm Grenade. That was one that was broken when Ashes to Asset was broken. You could get your entire super back in one grenade. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Fun days. Yeah, because the Ashes to Asset perk counted each hit of the Swarm as a kill. So you could throw the Swarm and have, like, I think it was between six or seven of the actual little Swarm things connected, uh, you'd get your super immediately. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, it was really broken for a while, and it carried over into for like a week there. Every gunslinger was using swarm grenades. Uh, 
And then I have a note here that with the recent nerf to arc bolt grenades, which we talked about when we talked about Lucky Raspberry, a lot of blade dancers are switching to skip grenades, uh, which has made people really kind of pine for this exotic, because if you have to run skip, why not run two? Mm. So this would probably be the choice. If you do want to run Mask of the Third Man, and you didn't want to run uh, the Tarantella, you could run Shinobu's Vow and have double skip grenades, and that's not bad. Also, improved skip grenade, we don't know what that means. Uh, if it's anything like improved scatter grenade <laughs> that Warlock's got with nothing manacles, it means that all the, the little skip things would be homing skips. We don't know that, but that would have been ridiculous. Uh, maybe it just made more little skippy stones. I don't know. Uh, and it's, yeah, like I said, it's believed that Shinobu was the leader of the six coyotes. And this is sort of like her her bit of lore, her bit of story was that they were out in the wild and they were basically at the end of their, their rope, no supplies, armor, and tatters. But the refugees had asked the six coyotes to get them back to the city, so that's what they did. And that's Shinobu's vow. That That is literally Shinobu's vow <laughs> to get them back. Mm-hmm. And there we go. That's that's exotic. All the hunter exotics. Man, we've this would be a long episode, but yeah, it's really long. <laughs> we did it. We did and this back to back. Oh man, I'm I'm sort of glad we're coming to the end of this. I have a week to prep sort of Titan exotics, which is the only thing left. So it's no secret that that's what we're covering next. Yeah, I'm excited for that. They've got some really cool ones. Uh, yeah, now I gotta start cranking on those notes. <laughs> Getting yeah. the, the Titan exotics done. Yeah. Alright, I think we lost X-ray to a work thing at some point during this, so uh, we'll handle the the closing things here. Did he did he post he don't know if he posted in the Yeah he did. He may or okay. may not be back. Alright, so the answer is not, which is a shame because I'd love to hear him be more salty about the state of gunslingers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I'm not salty enough, I'm sorry. I, I don't run Gunslinger. I, as soon as I hit, what, level 15 or whatever it is, I switched to Blade Dancer and never looked back. Wow. <laughs> as soon as I got Taken King, I was Night Stalker, never looked back. And now, I, yeah. to get the achievements for leveling up the subclasses, I was a Blade Dancer again, I still haven't gone back to Gunslinger. I should, but I don't. The only time I ever run Gunslinger is on a Solar Burn Strike, and that's just for the grenades. <laughs> It's track down a Celestial Nighthawk and just, like, take take a patrol or, like, go find some Taken invading someplace and hit one of them with Nighthawk <laughs> uh, and watch your health go from 100% to, like, 21%. It's amazing how much damage that can do. Remember that one glorious week uh, where Omnigal Solar Burn was the Nightfall, was it? Oh, yeah. And, yep. uh... And I, I was the tether hunter though. I had two other hunters, one oh. with both with Celestial Nighthawk Gunslinger. So I'd tether her and we'd shoot her and grind out. So we all got grasps of Malok and the the Warlock Bond as well. There's some great videos. There's a great video of three Nighthawk hunters doing the uh, Dust Palace strike. Oh yeah. And it's Solar Burn and Airborne. So each one stands right by where one of the flares spawn, and as soon as they spawn, they jump in the air and fire a golden gun, <laughs> and it's over in like two seconds. Yeah, it just yeah. evaporates them. I think I've seen something like that, yeah. 
crazy. Well, did you see it? Uh, and there was a YouTube video of someone adding like a uh, like a hawk screech to uh, yes. when you pop it. It was so cool. I wish <laughs> they had it in game. And then Mr. Fruit had a video. Mr. Fruit had a video with a hawk moon where every time he got a kill with it it made an eagle screeching sound or a hawk yeah. screeching sound <laughs> <laughs> hawk awesome uh. yeah. I just looked it up, it turns out I don't have Celestial Nighthawk so Aww. there you go, I'm still missing a lot of exotics gotta, you gotta get them all in your vault before year 3 starts yeah, yeah oh, we're gonna grind out uh, Challenge of Elders or something soon with nice. some why is it? I just I was just looking. I don't have like any of the year one exotics because I didn't get any exotics in year one. So any year one exotics I have, I would have gotten in year two as. Oh, things. I see. But I'm just I'm just looking at it. I'm like, I don't have any. Like I've got all the gauntlets. I got most of the helmets. Blah blah blah. Oh, of course I have one year one exotic. Guess what it is? Radiant dance machines. Hell yeah! <laughs> like the one time I'd bought a legacy engram, and that's what I get. Yeah, I don't carry much of these around. I mean, I always wear Graviton Forfeit, and I always keep Nighthawk on me. Uh, I keep Mask of the Third Man on me, but I almost always wear Tarantella on Blade Dancer. I keep my young Ahamkara Spine for when I'm running Gunslinger, just because I love Trip Mine so much. I keep Bones in case I need them. Uh, I always wear my cloak everywhere. And then I have <clears throat> I have Skyburner's Annex sitting in my vault, and I do have an Acleophage sitting in my vault just in case, but... I almost never wear it. Yeah, I've only but got like, half the helmets. I've only got Graviton, Arachnid, Skyburners, and Third Man. Don't have the others. So it's sad. I'm only, I'm only missing Jade Rabbit to complete my entire exotic collection. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's funny. When I, I think I mentioned before, on PS4, the only exotics that I have yeah. <laughs> are Jade Rabbit. <laughs> Zen Meteor, and then I bought those Sunbreakers from, from Zer. It's all you need. Uh, I used to run Don't Touch Me all the time for soloing Crota. Uh, at least to get through the stills. But nowadays I don't... I rarely do that, and plus you can move through it so quickly now that you almost don't even need the invisibility. Uh, but yeah, I don't... I had Kefri Skin Sting, got rid of it. I had Sildahamkara's Grasps. I don't use Double Smoke. Uh, because I run an intellect discipline build, uh, not a discipline strength build. And I'm never going to take Graviton Forfeit off, so don't try and convince me otherwise. Uh. <laughs> I'm never taking Bones of Ayo off. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I've got one knucklehead radar drop in year two, and I just infused it to something else. Uh. Interesting just looking at... I'm just, just looking at the, like the kiosk sort of thing, uh, but online. And I'm just noticing, like... Because you know how between year one and year two, a lot of the... If the look didn't change, like, the thumbnail changed? Yes, it changed on a lot of exotics. Kepri Sting didn't. That's interesting. That Young uh, Ahamkara Spine, Don't Touch Me, they changed, like, all the year one ones. Yep. Uh, but Kepri Sting is the same. Knucklehead Radar changed. Acleophage Symbiote changed. Uh, Nighthawk did not, yeah. I don't believe. Mask of the Third um, Man didn't. Didn't bones changed slightly, I believe. Uh, no. Nope. Uh, bones of Eo are the same. Radiant dance machines are very different. They have the green holograms on them now. No, they had them before, but they looked like twice the size and shiny, like glossy. 
I would know because I have it unlocked for some reason. It's go. the only U1 Hunter exotic I've got. Bah. <laughs> Why those ones? <laughs> I've got a vault full of exotic boots. I'm, I'm stockpiling exotic engrams right now for, for year three. Yeah, I would if I had all the exotics, but I don't. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> As hunters, we could sit here and talk about hunter exotics uh, in general forever. Yes. It'll end up being a 19-hour show. <laughs> yeah. But that does it for hunter exotics. Uh, Tex, thank you so much for joining us uh, and for, for helping on these notes and for, for digging stuff up and, and chatting with us about hunter exotics. Uh, I appreciate having a non-hunter perspective <laughs> yeah it's been a real pressure i'm i'm so glad to be here and thank you guys for for this show and for the slack chat is that it has helped me a lot working on lorg and i mean both of you have even contributed to the lorg so thank you for that as well well so i think one of my you. one of my proudest moments ever was when you included me in the lorg chart <laughs> the thank you yeah the thank you section uh, is up in the top left most <laughs> people miss it but yeah uh, yeah what an honor that was but yeah, let's definitely and let's definitely get you back. Let's let's do this again. This is a yes, good please. Yeah. Yes, please. Very fun. And it's it's funny. I see the notes that you've put, and they're so detailed. And like all the little things, and you were saying like, oh, do I do I need more notes? Like, no. Yes. <laughs> You're doing more than the board. doing more than everyone. Like, <laughs> it, not, it not was my first drop. My first day at work. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday, and I I think I spent the entire day <laughs> just researching. <laughs> yeah, now you know what what my life is like. Yeah, yeah I was sitting here like, this is what we get for getting a, like an analyst on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hire you to write notes with me. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, that's uh, episode thirty-seven and a half. Uh, we call this one Kexotic Hunter Armor. Uh, and that'll do it. That wraps up all Hunter Exotics. Tune in next time. We'll be covering Titan Exotics. We're gonna have more guests for that. Uh, some ridiculous guests, hopefully. I'm in the process of talking with them and getting it set up, and we got some fun stuff to talk about. And then we're we're really close to Rise of Iron, and we should have some surprises in store for that as well. But until then, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye. Bye.